During the interview, what should I call you? You can call me John. Ah, you can call me Tia. We're, we're on a first name basis already. Yeah. It's, it's starting off well. Perfect. Well, I hope so. Or if you'd rather watch, you know, I will call you whatever you're most comfortable with. But Tia will be perfectly fine. Ah, excellent. John again. And let's go ahead and start. You're working on your thesis. Is this for your honors in psychology or bachelor's in law? That's what I found in your background in terms of education. Yeah, so in South Africa, we have a weird system. Like, um, okay. I could have gone in straight into law, which would have been four years, mm -hmm. but I chose a bachelor's in law, which is three years. Now, okay. the conundrum is you can't go on and study abroad because abroad, most places have a four-year bachelor's degree. So mm. in their eyes, I don't yet have a four-year degree. I have a three-year one. So after law, I went on to do my psychology now, which is my fourth year. Okay. And that in its own is a degree. So I'm now doing my uh, my practice thesis in my in my psychology degree. Interesting. What led you to make that decision? Because it sounds like the four year degree is this very linear, straightforward path for law, but you went for the three in one combo. Like what motivated yes. that? Well, firstly, the fact that I have zero idea what I want to do with my life, <laughs> and secondly. Uh, what's nice with the bachelors in law, the reason, well, mm -hmm. what you do is you do your three years in law and then you need to okay. do another two years in law to be, like, uh, to get to practice law essentially instead like, of just four. So what sense. you did then is they, they gave you other, um, like a uh, modules that wasn't just law mm -hmm. related. So I got to do psychology, English. So I got to experiment a little bit with other things I might've liked, which was the idea in the first place. So why did you choose to do so you did three years in law, you did this experimental year, and then you, if you want to continue being a lawyer, do two more years. Why did you not start with the experimenting first and then do the law afterwards? Like, how did that end up coming about? Okay, so, well, the experimenting would have been like a solid three-year degree in something else. And if I then wanted to do law, I would have had to do another four years. Ooh. So that's <laughs> like a lot of commitments right there to experiment. So I thought... I'd rather experiment while I'm doing my actual degree. Mm -hmm. And then if the experimenting uh, takes me into a different direction, which it did, I can simply do my fourth year in, in that said degree and go on from there without wasting time. Interesting. Okay. So what degree did you, it sounds like you're pivoting away from law. What are you moving towards? Is this where psychology comes in? Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. So I, I normally have the saying, I take it one degree at a time because <laughs> it's almost <laughs> impossible to know where you're going to like end off. Um, uh -huh. You know, I don't know if I'm going to end up in academia or if I become a, you know, one of those people that lawyers call up for uh, psychological evidence. Yep. Um, but for now, f forensic psychology is piquing my interest uh, quite a bit because they, they like people who have a general knowledge in the law system because uh -huh. you need to like interview people who've done horrible things and yes. you need to figure out if they're guilty or not. And I, I quite like that. So I might go into mm -hmm. forensic psychology after this. Interesting. Oh, we'll, we'll see. It sounds like it's kind of like a roller coaster, lots of twists, lots of turns and a lot of time commitment in each of them, right? Like three years of law and then a year of experimenting and boom, we're pivoting over to this hybrid, which sounds like it really fits nicely. It's like a little bit of psych, a little bit of law, boom. Uh, how interesting, interesting. So how will you know if you like that? Because you've been very tactical in making these decisions. How are you going to experiment with forensic psychology? 
it's it's weird like uh i don't know um if if you've studied uh i'm pretty sure you mm -hmm. have i'm not yeah. I'm, i don't uh, know uh, what are you cur currently doing uh well my my journey was also very weird and twisted in turns so i went to college for an internet a degree i didn't know what i was so i went undeclared ended up in international relations with a minor in oh. east asian studies uh, and while I was there, they gave me a chance to study abroad in China, which is wonderful. And then after, oh, wow. yeah, then, then traveling is something I'm very passionate about, done a fair bit. And then after that, I went into a startup, a tech startup, and helped them out with client services. We did medical hospital software, like specifically for the education side of things. And then from there, I That's went to, very interesting. I know, my, my career was wild. And then I went into finance, worked at a major brokerage company for two, three years. Then I quit to try to start my own different ideas, and now I'm here. That's my that's my I current journey. It. I know, right? It, it's I, that... <laughs> oh. you know, you're actually like parkouring between totally opposite uh, sort of you know uh -huh. fields and industries, which is really cool. You're gaining like a lot of life experience in the process. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? Because you, I think you describe it well, where you're trying all these different things, but when you're 20, and it's like, oh, what what career do you want for the rest of your life? It's like, what do you mean? Uh, and then but you think you have a good strategy, right? Because there are going to be people who pick a four-year law degree, get to the end, they're like, wow, that was terrible. Mm -hmm. But you're, yes, you're hedging your exactly. bets a bit. You're like, a little bit of three. If I have to make it up with two more later on, fine, no big deal. Uh, but I like that you're, you're trying your best to navigate a system that puts a lot of pressure early on on your decision and trying to reduce that pressure. Find your spot. And because like, exactly. for look at me, right? I did a four-year degree in IR and I've done nothing to do with international relations thus far. It's always the case. Like uh, everyone I know who studies going to something totally different with their job, which mm -hmm. I hate because <laughs> it feels like you, it really feels like we're in an age where you do get the degree to be able to say you have the degree because people yep. respect that uh -huh. in certain industries. They don't care about the knowledge. They just want to know that you are able to work really hard if someone gives you a lot of work. And yeah. it's uh, it's just the way society is at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it either. Really. It, feel, it feels like, a, yeah, it's just kind of like buying your ticket to get your foot in the door. And you spend yes. four years, a lot of effort. And I don't, at least in the United States, it costs a lot of money. Does it cost, you're in South Africa, mm -hmm. correct? Uh, does it cost a... It also costs. It costs a lot, but your your loan system and so scares me quite a bit. Like yeah. uh, I don't think ours <laughs> oh. is as as bad as it is in America, but oh. it scares the living hell out of me that you guys are like in depth before you even go into work. Oh yeah, it's it's it, really scary for me. We have problems with our system. Uh, it's one of our weak. One of the, we have some areas in the United States where industry is great. Education definitely has a serious issue when it comes to how fast the price has grown to get a degree just to get your foot in the door. For a career, you're probably not actually going to have the right degree for in the first place. Like, I'm, I went to finance, mm -hmm. right? I don't have an accounting background. I went into client services. I don't have a sociology background. I have an IR background, and I quickly found out, unless I'm a diplomat, doesn't really mean a whole lot, but, like, that's also okay. Uh, but it, it, just, it feels weird. Spending a lot of money just to get a ticket, to get a foot in the door somewhere. Exactly. Like hmm. our thing, well, here it was just a, like, whole ball of stress because not only do you need to get into uni... Uh -huh. But like, for example, um, you've got a lot of undergrads doing a three-year BA degree in whatever, and yep. they all want to do psychology. 
Now, with our weird system, you need to get an honors degree in psychology, which is your fourth one. Okay. So normally in abroad, if you get into a degree, you, you do the whole four-year thing, you're guaranteed uh -huh. a degree. But here, you get three years, which means nothing. And now you have to apply for the honors one. I'll get this. Uh -huh. We have a class of more than 500 people in undergrad. I'm with you. you only have 36 spots for honors. What? Now you've got 400 and something people who cannot get a job. They cannot get into an honors degree anywhere in the world because abroad you only have a four-year degree. So I didn't get into honors my first year. Okay. And essentially I was like, oh, well, this is my life now. I, I have nothing. I started yeah. streaming and then I redid some modules, reapplied, and I got in for honors. And now I'm, I'm very happy uh -huh. about that fact, but it's so scary. It's just ruthless. What, what about all the other oh. people? What are they doing with their lives right now? That's nothing, most likely. They brutal. can't practice psychology. Yeah, like they can't, they can't do anything. It's almost like the it's, education is just like a hard gateway to like, oh yeah, by the way, all of you people, hundreds of you, yeah, you're out of the system. Uh, you know, you can get the B-rate jobs at best because you just weren't happen to be like top 36 in this group of 500 people. Like if you're not exactly. top 10%, you're, you're just done. I, I, that's an, oh. That, that scares me. That freaks me out because if you get behind, it's so hard to get ahead where, for mm -hmm. example, if you're, let's say your parents are college educated, they probably have better jobs. They can probably afford you tutoring if you need it to have better grades. They can get you the resources you need in general to provide a stable work environment for studying. And then if you don't have a degree, you're probably making less money, probably in a less stable place, less food, potentially uh, less resources for education. And you're probably destined to repeat that same cycle over and over with your kids. That's awful. Wow. It's horrible. It's so bad. And the worst part is you can't, well, South Africa now, if you uh -huh. want to get out of the country and perhaps get a better, uh, get into a better country with a better system, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to because you don't have your four-year degree. You have three years and that means yeah. nothing. Unless you redo your whole uh, first bachelor's degree, that's a different option, of course. Um, they, they like international students mm -hmm. because yep. we have to pay a lot more money to study abroad normally, right? Uh -huh. And uh, our yep. university does it as well. So in our little class of 36, we have a few international students a lot of the time. Uh -huh. uh, so that's even less people in our class that can slots. get an honors mm. degree. It's scary. That's awful. Do you know how the system came about? That just seems like such a trap. It's horrible. Well, the thing is, when you reach your honors degree, you have to do th uh, a thesis. Well, mm -hmm. like a practice thesis. Because yes. you don't actually do research. You do a literary review of other um, Work. you know, other studies. But okay. now you, every student needs a supervisor. And essentially, there, there isn't enough supervisors for the amount of students. And uh -huh. uh, that's, that's, that's about it, I guess. It's, it's scary, but... It's ironic because um, we keep uh, we keep talking about the fact that our country doesn't have enough psychologists, uh -huh. and uh, yet we don't have enough spaces to actually make new psychologists. It's a catch twenty two situation. Yeah, you definitely you have a bottleneck, right? You need, and also you mentioned not having enough supervisors, right? You can't just. It's also a problem of if you say, okay, we're gonna allow two hundred fifty honor spots. Great, you don't have enough people to teach them. The only get more people to teach them is. Yeah, it can make more of them, but to get more, you need more supervisors. Too. Oh gosh, it's awful. It's really a catch twenty-two. Um, good book, by the way. Uh, but wow, that is a serious bummer. Yeah, I mean, education seems to be a really interesting topic, country to country. At least outside of Europe, I've pretty much heard just problems like, oh, this is an issue. This is an issue. 
Uh, United States uh, has the cost price issue in particular. And then a couple mm -hmm. things here, there that uh, some people really like, some people don't like, like affirmative action. But I think the one thing everyone agrees is cost oh, yeah. is going up. Uh, wow. That's Do you awesome. have that hmm? abroad, by the way, affirmative action? Affirmative action. Interesting. So, okay, now we're, gonna, now, uh, we're treading in the ground where I'm a little less knowledgeable on, but bear with me. I know domestically there is. I also know schools hmm. have certain degrees where they uh, have the ability to try to create a diverse class. So when it comes to bringing in students abroad, they can have some control. They're like, oh, you know, these, you know, we'd like to have this group ethnically represented. Now, I do not know what loopholes they have to jump or how they have to phrase it, but that is what happens. Like my yeah. college struggled with it. The one I went to, I went to a, one I would not have gone to in retrospect, but they, you know, I got a good education there, but they really struggled with uh, diversity. Where was that? This was in the middle Sorry. of nowhere in Pennsylvania, like truly middle okay. of nowhere. Uh, place called Bucknell University has like 4,000 people, which is small for a U.S. college. And yeah. diversity was a huge struggle there for a lot of reasons. But they definitely went out of their way to, it felt like they were cherry picking certain students and such, just trying to say, oh, we got to get we have to have some diversity. But yeah. I will say there was a lot of white people on my campus. And that's, uh, ugh, it gets messy. Um, of course, I, uh, I, I try never to go into too much detail in our country because mm -hmm. it's because of our history. You can yes. just imagine it's, it's, um, it's always a very serious topic to tread on. Yes, but um, yeah, we our affirmative action is uh, written into our constitution at this point. Interesting. So like you have a class of 36, for example, uh -huh. um, now you have a set amount of blocks for a certain uh, race, and then you have another. Now remember, we're the rainbow nation, so I know abroad people normally just refer to, uh, well, they refer to like whites and blacks, and that's yep. like the two races. But here we have specifics because you know we have all different kinds uh -huh. of races, and so essentially you have to tick all of these boxes. And yeah, so it's it's a it's an interesting system we have. But yeah, affirmative action for us, um, our government sees it as necessary to you know um, yes. undo the wrongs of the past but yeah that yes. also it makes it quite difficult to get into certain fields mm -hmm. and such because um yep. yeah it, it decreases the amount of spots that are available at the end of the day yeah that's kind of it's so it's like a double-edged sword and that's i think what the tricky part of affirmative action programs are it's like yes you're letting in more students and that's good right you have entire groups and yeah. i'm speaking from the united states specifically Large groups of disenfranchised yeah. people historically, you need, they do not have a chance and opportunity to build wealth over the long term. They taught, you know, that cycle you referred to when talking about South Africa's education in terms of only mm. you need to get an ed degree to then better off uh, your kids. If you don't get a degree and then you might be left out of the system, that's perpetuated a long time, right? Uh, we've had, mm -hmm. we, I mean, we still have racially discriminative laws written very carefully to not provoke racial discrimination, but. All of that still manifests. Affirmative action is a way to let people into the system. But paradoxically, it's really tough in terms of the competition. Where all of a sudden, if you're competing against racial groups, like, okay, you're realizing your people, you're getting rejected from potentially a university that you want to go to that could set you up. But mm -hmm. people who are having worse grades than you're getting in. And that is the tough part of affirmative action. Uh, yeah. I still, mm -hmm. I, it's interesting because I never knew it was that prevalent abroad. Because again, here, I understand why it's being done. 
the problem is just our government ha since apartheid has ended mm -hmm. like our government should have rectified things a lot more drastically a lot more faster but instead they didn't really do yep. anything so now you have this sort of affirmative action going on and on mm -hmm. and on and you're starting to question but okay when does this end you know when yep. are we going to reach sort of equality without having to have these measures in place but uh, it's interesting that you have it abroad because yes. like i said here we have a, a different reason we did it um because we want to give people an opportunity who are excluded in the past mm -hmm. but abroad don't you all simply have the same like s starting point or oh like, it's so or, or do you not know the reasoning for for well, that it exists because the united states wow we were instantly instantly on to a deep topic let's go for it i'm enjoying this so in the united <laughs> states we've historically been really bad about it Though you can debate certain aspects of it or not. So I'm of the opinion that we've done a bad job so far in trying to rectify the past. Where the slavery from the beginning of the American colonies, right? Early 1600s, all the way up okay. through 1860s. Reconstruction Act, basically end of a civil war in the United States. Uh, slaves are freed, but then of course a lot of exploitation happens. You, mm -hmm. Then there is a series of a bunch of racist laws that ends up through 1960s. Martin Luther King Jr. Then after that enters a period of instead of rectifying it, uh, just because the Jim Crow laws are gone, we end separate but equal, which is making basically colored only sections and white only sections for everything, wherein money poured into the white only sections. And then from there Gosh, so similar to us. I yeah, never knew this. Yeah, well, here I'm happy to tell you more. And of course, I'm sure people, some people in chat will disagree, because and then we, we can fast forward to today where like 1970s. Uh, we had Richard Nixon, who was an absolute racist, hated everybody, just hated everybody. He was a vile man. Uh, so he's like, okay, we can't let just we can't go over we can't go after black people anymore, but I can go after uh, war on drugs, specifically targeting marijuana, because we find that more black people use marijuana. And so what we'll do is we'll make yeah. a ton of strict laws around that, so we can target these communities, also target uh, hippies, these more liberal groups, so we can crack down on them too and arrest their leaders, raid their homes, whatever it takes. And we keep fast forwarding. Mm -hmm. War on drugs is a popular campaign for both sides. We keep those laws in place. We still have really strict marijuana laws. And it helps lead to the highest incarceration rate in the world per capita. United States gets to boast wow. that one. And we fast forward to today. And I can talk about an issue right now, which is uh, we're talking about something called critical race theory that's becoming a topic, which is how do you teach the history of the United States, this huge history, to kids and the united states is also even though we are one nation we're very good at coming together when there's one threat it's not a threat we'll fight each other all day uh and then it comes to the question is how do you teach this history and some groups say let's let's not focus on the race and the racial aspects of the united states because it might divide us further and other groups say hey look this is our history let's teach it as such teach this aspect that um lots of minority groups had to suffer like not just Af like african-americans obviously under slavery uh and jim crow laws and you have like things like the chinese expulsion act in the 18 i think 1880s you have japanese internment camps where in world war ii united states locked up japanese americans because they might be a spy even if they're totally innocent mm -hmm. and americans uh and then they also says like let's let's teach all that uh and teach it and like really ingrain it because this is a huge part of the system and uh the answer is we still argue about this today we have not done some like giant big sweep to fix everything per se uh, and wow. uh, yeah, so I think I don't know if it's going to hold for every country. Like I would imagine European countries did not have 
slavery as present on the continent compared to the colonies, uh, United States and yeah. other ones. But in the United States, yes, there has been a lot of racial tension and hundreds of years wow. of it. And uh, it does continue to this day. And trying to see what, how much, what do you, can you do to improve the situation? What is excessive? What is necessary? What is fair? What's unfair? Like those questions persist every day. You can check the news right now and find it USA. Um, yeah, that, that was a huge history yeah, lesson. <laughs> Sorry about that. Thank you for that. I mean, uh, like, again, it's, it's the same. With, I just realized right now how I wouldn't call it ignorance, but the, the lack of knowledge I have regarding uh, American um, history uh -huh. is quite interesting because we're not taught your history here just as you're not taught ours, except for apartheid. Yes. Everyone knows about apartheid. We know about apartheid, um, but, but to be honest, I don't um, know their full story. Yeah. Like in South Africa, okay. that's the tough part, right? It's kind of irony. And there's an irony to it of like learning from each other's history, but yet I'm not, I don't know your history, but you're still, I didn't even know you had affirmative action until this call. I was just bluffing it's my way through it. Very big. Yeah, it's so interesting. So, yeah. yeah, don't worry, we all bluff. Fake it till we make it. We just never say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, no, no our, our our affirmative action is uh, is is very serious because it's in the thing is our government fails to actually provide jobs, provide education, you know, um, give people housing, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about people who have been previously disadvantaged. And I mean, we want that. We we want them to be helped. But instead, our government sort of lays back. They don't really fulfill their promises. So they take the easy way out. So instead of creating an equal starting point, they mm -hmm. create an equal outcome. Yeah. So that's where affirmative action comes in. Now, I get that. But the problem is you're not helping these people from the get go. Yes. You need to give them housing. You need to give them a appropriate, mm -hmm. um, you know, schooling. But yeah, so the fact that, okay, so your starting point is slavery. I can see that now. And you... Yes. Um, you explained how the laws went into, you know, um, what do you call it? Appropriating that for a long time. And it's very interesting mm -hmm. the way your government handled marijuana, because recently we had the same thing in South Africa. And mm -hmm. that's when I was studying law. We were following this case because this white couple, ironically, they got caught for smoking marijuana in their own home. Uh -huh. And they went on and they made a big, big, big lawsuit where they challenged our constitution and they said, listen, the mm -hmm. reason you guys don't want people to smoke marijuana uh, mm -hmm. is mostly because you're targeting p people of other nationalities. And that's mm -hmm. against our constitution because, of course, we have uh, the right to um, culture, the right to religion. And they, they said, well, a lot of people in our country actually use this uh, because it's part of the culture. Mm -hmm. And they won. Uh, they wow. won a big, big, big lawsuit. And now marijuana is illegal to smoke in your own homes in South Africa since something around uh, 2018. So interestingly wow. enough we we managed to to change the constitution but hey i know some states in america uh did the same mm -hmm. recently, yeah we are we're, we're having yet it's so interesting so uh first this is such a cool conversation second uh yeah united states <laughs> is slowly rolling it out now on a federal level ironically even though democrats have a lot of power right now it's a more liberal party uh versus the republican party which is conservative ones uh, a lot of the key Democrats actually were had a hand in passing these drug laws historically. Therefore, there's not been a lot of change on the federal level, but on the state level. Like, if I look at the 2020 election, uh, different amendments to constitutions and propositions are put up on a state level. And everyone that made drugs more liberal that went on the ballot was elected state by state in both conservative and liberal states. Like, the, across the board, there is a slow, steady shift 
to move towards a more liberal view, which is great, whether you take it from the racism perspective or even just like a libertarianism perspective of people should be able to do what they want with their bodies. Like, that's cool. Do we need regulation yeah. there? Uh, or free market no. perspective. Take, and take it hurt someone else you know it's it's mm -hmm. like alcohol laws like don't drive if you're intoxicated but yes. you can drink alcohol the yes. same with marijuana if if you want i know my favorite uh, countries and i'm not sure which i i'm not going to name a random country because i'm going to get it off but where they legalize all drug use but uh -huh. you have to go to a, a pharmaceutical uh, company mm -hmm. you have to see a therapist almost every time you're there they will give you it in its most purest form. So you know there's nothing in it that's not supposed to be in it, like, you know, pesticide. Mm -hmm. And they keep an eye on these people who would have gotten it anyway through yes. the black markets. And, I mean, those countries are doing so well. And yes. it's just, you know, I mean, you mm -hmm. don't have to take all these drugs that are really bad for you. But um, people will, and at least do it through a regulated system. It's, you know, mm -hmm. I can go forever on about the black market because we always have this thing with uh, rhino horn in our country. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know about like all the rhinos being the poached horns. in South Africa, yeah. uh, taken to China for um, uh, traditional you know, medicine, increasing, uh, yeah, 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 mm. increasing libido um, mostly. But um, yeah, so we started thinking, well, they're going to do it illegally and kill the rhinos. Why don't we just start cutting off rhino horns? Because uh -huh. it's like a fingernail. It doesn't hurt. Yep. So people can't kill the rhino. And then we just put it into the market and sell it legally. Yep. And um, some farmers have done that. Um, nice. Not a lot. But uh, I like that mm -hmm. idea. Because the moment you take it out of the black market, you, you just regulate it much mm -hmm. more carefully and safely. And it's sort of a win-win situation at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a feeling as we talk about different issues, I, I think we're going to be on the same page on a lot. Because I agree. I think, ironically, in the United States, we're going back to drugs. The war on drugs, the demand for drugs did not change. Prices went up, and it hurt other countries that violence could be used to seize enough farms and production means to produce the drugs and smuggle them in. But instead of trying to focus on a help the people that are using them, by giving them access to it at a reasonable price at a safe place and giving them the resources to better themselves ideally and potentially wean off of them, you can completely stop or heavily reduce the violence associated with drugs. You can increase the safety of it. There are better approaches than trying to take a punish the user that actually can help your society out and benefit. But it is, I think, historically look at like the 1980s, 1990s, 1970s in the USA. That it was really popular to say we're gonna we're gonna crack down on drug use because these people are out of control instead of saying these people need help. But we go back to nineteen seventies, Nixon and his motivations and he didn't care about the drugs. He wasn't there for the drugs. <laughs> he was there for worse reasons. Um mm. yeah. exactly. It it's I mean it's really about the people using the drugs, right? It's 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 not a problem that often, especially with marijuana. I mean so many studies have gone into that by now, you know, showing uh -huh. the benefits of it. But I, I know you guys do have medical marijuana there, which is an interesting <laughs> one. I don't think we ever had that before we legalized marijuana. Uh -huh. um, and you can get that for just about anything, right? You have anxiety, yes. it you, is. you get marijuana. You have a back pain, you, you get marijuana. It's yeah, there... sort of a loophole I, I've uh -huh. realized uh, that some places in America has. Yeah, my favorite loophole, I don't know if it's still there, is in D.C., where what you would do is it was legal to have marijuana. It was illegal to sell marijuana. It was legal, though, to give people marijuana. 
So what stores would do is they would be willing to sell you a $10 bag of chips. And with it came a little bear of marijuana as a gift. Because it wasn't legal for them to sell it, but you could buy a really expensive snack that happened to come of a gift of marijuana. And that is how our nation's capital dealt with it. That's so ironic. I mean, we mm -hmm. have the right currently to have marijuana in our homes, but you can't sell it. You mm -hmm. cannot buy it. But somehow you get this into your home. So Ooh. let's just put it like that. Uh, there's still a big loophole in our system as well. Yep. So the marijuana isn't magically going to grow from my garden. Uh, uh -huh. it's, you have to buy it from someplace first. Right. It's, it's just a kind of a paradox there of like, oh, yeah, everyone has this. Where are they getting it from? But I always feel like that's such a failing on government policy. It's like, okay, everyone's buying it illegally. <laughs> Why not buy it legally, have it safer, and tax it? Like, the latter seems so much better than the former, but... Governments, I don't know about South Africa's government, but I know my government is full of very old people. And very old people are very happy with older ways and being reluctant to change things on both parties. Uh. Yeah, no, it's very true. I mean, our government is, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's very corrupt and it's, it's a very mm -hmm. bad government. Our law system, on the other hand, is impeccable. It's based on Roman Dutch law, but... I mean, I have unfortunately learned that what's in the textbook isn't necessarily going to apply to real life because mm -hmm. you have to get the criminal into the court system before you can apply the law. Mm -hmm. And that that, sense. our crime is just rampant. That doesn't happen. So unless, and of course, there's corruption in the uh, law as well every now and then, you know, the government mm -hmm. has a, a bit of a say there, yeah. um, a bit of sneaky ways to influence the yeah, law. Tip the scale. But, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a problem. That's the reason I won't be practicing law in South Africa. Interesting. Uh, that's mainly the reason. You know, I, I wanted to know my laws, though, because it's very important to know what you're allowed to do in this country and what you're not allowed mm -hmm. to do. Uh, you don't want to end up on the wrong side of the law in South Africa. Yeah, that makes, yeah, especially with a little bit of corruption here there. Would you ever want to leave the country? You mentioned you gave up the yes. opportunity to study abroad. Yes, is the answer. Resounding yes. Uh, wait, wait. Yes. So tell me, tell me the motivations for potentially wanting to leave and where would you want to go? Okay, so motivation. Uh, it's clear our country is not getting uh, better. Um, oh, from let's put it from a social perspective, I'd say we're making big improvements. Like mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to racial tension, I mean, it's we've moved bounds away from where we were. It's like the people are are great. It's mm -hmm. the government is failing our country, so our infrastructure is worsening. Like we have regular power outages called load shedding where mm. we make turns to have power because there's not yeah. enough to go around because the generators mm. aren't maintained. So, I mean, I now have a UPS installed in my house. Uh -huh. I had to use my, my Twitch scraps to um, <laughs> get that into the house to keep my PC running when I'm streaming. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I also talked about day zero the other day on my channel and people were so shocked. It's, um, I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't, zero, I'm very excited to hear. We, we, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, Day Zero. It sounds like a horror movie. It was the day South Africa was going... Well, Cape Town. Okay. Cape Town was the first major city in the world that was going to run out of water. Whoa. And that That's is serious. a big, big no-no in my books for uh, survival. <laughs> but uh, yep. the thing is, what happened was we had our worst drought in, in years, and it sort of built up <laughs> to a point where our dams okay. were running dry. Yep. And now the thing is, our country was well aware of this happening, and they didn't do the necessary precautionary steps to save up in time. Mm. So that is where our government failed us. It's not just global warming. 
So we were counting off the days. We had a set time. They so calculated ramped. it. And when we reached day zero, there would be no more water. That's terrifying. And, um, Holy cow. Yeah, so it was, it was. And we were saving up water. Like, there was no water in the stores to buy. I remember we were yep. hoping they would bring in water because everyone was, like, starting Fine. to stock up on, yep. on, like, 25 liter bottles, including me. Yep. And uh, you were only allowed to use, like, what, five liters a person per household, which is not enough. Yep. Otherwise, the government would come and they would close your, uh, your yeah. uh, what do you call it? There's something like yeah, a pipe. tap outside they can okay. manipulate. So you can only get a certain amount of water through. Um, so that was something. And it's, it's all these little mm -hmm. things because it's, it's in the most primal form, right? I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking yeah. about pure survival. It, it's not safe in South Africa, really. It's you don't have you don't even have electricity when you need it. Mm -hmm. You know you have all these little things you can't rely on. And now, like, do you really want to raise a child in this country? You know, yeah. if if you can't if you can't even ensure that they'll have you know electricity in the night, it's yeah. it's just not a viable long term solution. So, the idea mm -hmm. is to get out and to seek a, a uh -huh. country that perhaps provides a little bit more certainty in the long run. I'd say. All right, that makes sense. That that sounds tough. It's like a really shaky pyramid where it's like, okay, hey, here's our country, but here's all, the entire foundation is all these cracks. You know, we mismanaged our ability. We saw day zero is coming. We didn't prepare properly for it. Uh, we have all these water limitations as a result. Like electricity is unstable. Now, in your case, what's cool, I think it's cool, aside that your Twitch was able to help you fund the power unit so it can keep, you know, keep the business going. But you have all these little cracks here, there, and that is... I don't blame you for sitting there saying, okay, do I want to raise a kid in this country when while we're making progress socially, I'm not sure about all this other stuff and whether we can, as a country, make progress forward, particularly if a corrupt government that seems to be mismanaging things. Have you considered what countries you'd want to go to? Yeah, so uh, with regards to the uh, degree thing, like one step mm -hmm. at a time. So I'm thinking when I, that's the reason I needed to do my honors because uh -huh. I can out. only study abroad once that's done. And yep. now when that's done, I will be applying all over the world. Um, I, I would have started off with America. Uh -huh. It was always my dream to go to America. But um, again, we're being fed just like little snippets of your media. Yep. And I think it's just for scare tactics. But all we know is Trump versus Hillary and <laughs> their civil war. And, it's, and the whole place is in flames. And okay. that's all we hear. So I picture... I picture a country in flames, though I know that's not the case. I know you probably have a very normal country uh -huh. with just sort of minority groups fighting uh, with each other, I'm hoping. Well, but since uh -huh. then, I've decided to go to Toronto, Canada for now instead. <laughs> ah, you know what? I'm not even going to bother fighting. It is not a country in flames. We have uh, problems with like any country, but to be honest, <laughs> Toronto, Canada is also I very nice. So. Uh, so yeah, you can do fine in either country, but that's so funny. I love the idea of just the idea, like looking out my window, it's just fire everywhere. Now it's a, we all fight yes. amongst each, <laughs> fight amongst each other uh, politically, but for the most part, it's pretty chill. A couple it's of protests media, here, man. there. Media, media is screwed up. Media is really interesting thing. Do you have in you are in South Africa like inflammatory media? Because in one thing, it's been going on in the United States over time. It's been growing. The media seems to be very good at dividing people and saying, like, this oh, yeah. is our way. Everyone else is bad, uh, which, of course, mm -hmm. it's a dangerous cycle that people want to watch that kind of media. That media is then given to them, which helps fuel their uh, initial belief to want to, like, have this inflammatory aspect. You know, keep on going and going and going. 
Uh, does that tell me about that in South Africa? Is that a trend there too, or uh, it is okay? Well, mm -hmm. it's oh uh, gosh, <laughs> there was this funny thing. No, how can I put this? There's so much bad things happening in our country. The, the media doesn't even have to try. It's just every day. It's like, okay, this amount of people got killed here. This is what the government did recently and how they screwed up. It, it's almost, there doesn't mm. even have to be an agenda. It's just so bad. Um, what I wanted to say was, I, I know Asili, a um, you know Sealy, she's obviously a great mm -hmm. streamer. Um, she, uh, she was going into something also almost like forensics. I can't recall, mm -hmm. but... She said the worst crime unsolved mystery was in her country was when a, like a group of friends went out and camped uh, in a park and mm -hmm. then they got stabbed to death. And I'm thinking, that's just the day at the beach here in SA. Yeah, <laughs> that is that's uh, nothing. It's, no. It happens every day in, in hundreds. It's, it's nothing, um, mm -hmm. which is a bit scary. But no, the, the problem here isn't the media, it's the government. So what yep. they do is they try to create racial tension 24-7 because when, you know, both groups think the other group is the problem, none of them focus on the government who's mm -hmm. actually not helping the country get any better with tax money. Mm -hmm. So now you have groups pointing fingers at each other and saying well look what happened so many years ago it's that's uh -huh. the reason this is happening and and you know the real mm -hmm. thing is the government is in control and they need of to everything. fix it and you know they have the taxes to do it but you know you had our, our last president president jacob zuma he he uh, built uh this whole homestead what was it called nkandla nkandla it costed more than 50 million rand to build Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, he doesn't get paid 50 million yep, rand to do expensive. his job. Yep. And uh, that's where all our money goes, which is infuriating because you see all these suffering and there's nothing you can do about it because you're already doing your share with taxes. You can donate to charity. You know, mm -hmm. you, ha you have no guarantee that the money is going to end up where they say it's going to end up. And right. uh, yeah, the, the funniest thing for me was when President Trump, um, mm -hmm. back when he was still president, he he cut the funds he sent to South Africa, and I think he was sending something like, gosh, I don't know, it it was something like a billion dollars. Uh -huh. Maybe that's too much. Uh, it might have been a little bit less. And he said, well, he's not going to send as much money anymore. Mm -hmm. And we were like, what money? <laughs> uh -huh. What money? We are we getting money? Because we're uh -huh. not seeing any of that money. <laughs> no. We didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, the government just takes it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, USA is pretty generous, not super generous relative to the amount of money we bring in, but foreign aid policy is not so much, I would say, as an opinion about, hey, let's help a country as much as it is, hey, let's buy a country's government. Let's make sure that if something went wrong and we needed to be have a friend in Africa, like South Africa would be there. So mm. I will say when it comes to foreign aid policy, now sometimes it gets a little strict there, but it's about giving in and making sure that when ships are down, you know, you're going to help us out if we need to, like, park a Navy nearby or something. I, I'm uh, yeah. sad, though, that it doesn't go to a more productive means. Some nations do put it to good use. But it is, mm -hmm. like, a not-so-subtle, oh, yeah, here, have, have a billion. Be friends. And then, yeah, we'll work from there. But that is... Oh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll be friends with, with, with anyone. You just give us some money and... Yeah, our yeah. big controversy the, the last two years was with the Gupta family. 
Uh, okay. And the Gupta f- family was a very rich Indian um, family, the Guptas. Mm-hmm. And they were close with our president. And they started implementing things here in our country and started buying certain parts of it. And the problem is we eagerly sell it again because we're corrupt. Okay. Same with uh, Chinese. We have a lot of Chinese people coming in and buying certain you know, sectors. And the thing mm-hmm. is, we can't buy that back. Yep. And, you know, it's not good giving parts of your country over to a different country because they steadily get more control and, yes. it's, you know, do more decisions that only benefit mm-hmm. their citizens. And our government just allows it because, again, they, they don't really care. Uh, right. So, yeah, that was a big controversy, the uh, the Guptas uh, coming in here in South Africa and buying things. Yeah, that's really, that's rough. Because in the United States right now, we have, we're able to do the opposite because in China, Huawei is producing, I think, some of the best technology in the world, but because we're so close to Chinese government, United States pushing pressure on all of its allies and itself, we're banning it. We even recently banned, I think, the purchasing of our Huawei stock, among other companies as well. So we're, United States, we're able to crack down and be like, going as far as to say, we want nothing to do with certain companies or people that just like, you will not have anything here, or and we'll put pressure on our allies to, to not do it. But when a government is, if a government, if a government isn't for the people or the country to some extent, the United States, one thing it's nice is we do have self-interested people, but for the most part, even though we're all at each other's throats, we are all trying to make the country as good as we can. And even on the government level, yeah. but that's mm. tough when you have a government that is purely not for the people, it's purely for themselves. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you know, everyone, you know, we don't have a country in, 50 years but you know i got a yacht i got a couple cars you know i got a couple mansions like ah it's a good trade that that's horrible um so i don't i don't blame you for it being is, right interesting and leaving it is mm-hmm. it's you have to ask yourself at the end of the day you know who ends up in the government you know it's it's normally people who seek power and it's really for the right reasons it's mm-hmm. It's just one of those things, right? But you mentioned something along the lines of America banning certain companies. What are your thoughts on the Chinese government recently banning cryptocurrencies? Ooh, that's so interesting. Because it's yep, one of the topics we both know a bit about. And I actually see the one person in our glance at the chat. I saw the name fly by. Uh, I know I have one person in the chat who loves crypto. Uh, so they're gonna, probably going to enjoy this one. But for banning it, it's so interesting. Because I always thought... Cryptocurrency represented, I thought, one of the bigger threats to governmental power, but mm-hmm. as a utility, like as a object of with use, as opposed to an investment. So here's why I think people, so like, I get why they're nervous about it. Do what I, am I happy they banned it? No. Uh, I would like to look at the reasons though, because they were some of the, the biggest mining operation by country in the world was in China. And for people who don't know anything about cryptocurrency, Mining just means, think of it as like the biggest amount of people keeping track of the systems and trying to generate money from cryptocurrency by creating new crypto. So their banning of it locks down that, makes the investment side of it plummet. But I get it from a government perspective of here's all, I can't control the transaction. I can't do it anymore. And so just ban it, get rid of it. I don't like it personally. I do understand why China's conceptually doing it and they might have other reasons as well what did you think about it i okay well i'm obviously a big crypto fan and yes. it uh, it hurt my crypto wallet let's put it like that because <laughs> all the income i made this year just fell right back to square one but i'm still in the green um of because i invested earlier than 2021 
But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, I mean, you need regulation, right? And I think there's a lot, like our government as well wants to start regulating cryptocurrency, but it's so uh -huh. difficult to do, right? Because it's totally independent of government policy. You, yes. you can just, you know, you can send money from one wallet to another and the government doesn't need to know about it. Yep. You know, you can evade taxes in wonderful ways and uh -huh. it has the potential for a lot of criminal activity, which obviously isn't something your government would like. Yes. But um, I'm just afraid the government begins to regulate it in such a way that it's not a viable, um, mm -hmm. it's not a viable option anymore. Because um, I think our government, I can't recall if it's ours, but said something along the lines of they'll look at your profit you made uh -huh. in your wallet and they'll tax you on it. Yes. Now, the conundrum there is you don't necessarily keep that profit. It, it could disappear overnight. Mm -hmm. They should instead tax all the money you take out and put back in your bank account and call that profit instead. I can get behind that, of course, because yes. you did make an income. But uh, it's, it's difficult. It's certainly difficult. Yeah, I think like in a level of like in the United States, they do tax the realized gains. And that means I bought crypto, let's say I bought a Bitcoin at $100 for simple math. Of course, it's way more than that now. But over 100 and I sell it at 200, the different providers for wallets that help try to keep track of this, the exchanges will say, oh, you made 100 bucks. Here's a tax form. Go report it to the government. But that is that is because you sold at a higher price you bought at. So that, but if you're, if they're just taking snapshots of it, your unrealized gains, like that's tough. There's a, there's a distinct difference, at least in the American finance system of it's unrealized. We haven't sold it. It might go up, might go down. I'm not going to try to force you to sell part of it versus I've sold it. It's cash. I know I've made money. They'll tax part of the money I made. That is, but that's also, I think an interesting point about governments almost putting barriers in investing. They're saying like, look, if you're going to do, we don't want you to do crypto. So we're going to give it a really aggressive tax law. In the United States, they're treating it just like an investable asset right now. But mm -hmm. if they're, I don't know which countries are going to consider doing that, but that makes it a much harsher investment if they're just taxing on unrealized gains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's very much like stocks. I, uh -huh. I see no reason why it should be a, a sort of shady underdog thing. Like it's, I don't know. It's I, I feel like it should be a viable option. I, I've thought uh -huh. it would be the future, in all honesty. We already had um, ATMs here set up where you could pay with Bitcoin, and I thought that was just amazing. But and now with like uh, entire like China just not doing it anymore, that's mm -hmm. a large portion of the world's population not being able to invest in crypto anymore, which yep. obviously has a big effect on the market. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I definitely am a little bit more... Uh, hesitant when investing uh -huh. in crypto right now as i'm not sure where it's heading mm -hmm. um even though it, it took a big drop after that and elon musk's tweet yeah because <laughs> he just does that on purpose at oh this yeah point. totally he's um, pumping dumping that i don't know if he's mm -hmm. attempting to you know sell all of his crypto and then invest again oh, yeah. and trying to sort oh, of yeah. influence the market or if he's just being elon but um yeah it has a big effect uh -huh. on uh on dog coin at least let's yeah. put it like that yeah, Dogecoin has been an interesting one because it's supposed to be a joke, right? A coin called, Do like a virtual currency called Dogecoin. Like, let's be real. But they had that fanaticism around it that drove it up. For me, the thing I'm looking at when it comes to crypto is I, I prefer investing in things that have a rate of return. So if I buy a stock, I'm buying a company full of people whose job is now to make me money. I like that. I like, uh, 
stocks would be my usually my bread and butter but like real estate has you know i can rent out space uh i or sell at a higher price later on i think things like bonds which are basically loans to other institutions companies they pay me interest i like that thing for crypto that always makes me pause is if i buy a bitcoin i'm counting on somebody else wanting that bitcoin and willing to pay more for it than i bought it originally at so what i'm waiting for with crypto is when the utility is so high that it just starts dwarfing currencies like bitcoin going from like 60,000 to 30,000 30,000 tripping over my words but that that volatility indicates to me that this is an investment people are treating it like a bit of a hot potato game but i'm waiting when you say mm -hmm. like bitcoin atms that's the stuff that excites me like here we go now now we're talking about a currency that's starting to make it mainstream that i might go buy my groceries with I might go buy something online yeah. like, that's interesting to me uh, have you seen more of that mm -hmm. as time has gone on more opportunities for like the utility side of crypto well it was heading that way when bitcoin was reaching its all-time high i am uh -huh. not sure in dollar what it was worth but here in rand we were we were on our way to a million rand and that That's was going insane. to be very big mm -hmm. and um yeah but then it fell and now nobody's speaking about it anymore uh <laughs> which is again scaring me i'm i'm hoping it mm -hmm. gets back to where it was after this big sort of it, the, the bubble burst essentially it it was a big knock to um mm -hmm. to all the coins actually but uh yeah right now i can't see it becoming mainstream uh not after that so we're gonna have to wait a while for it to settle and stabilize again because like you said it's very volatile and people there's a lot of newer generations who get involved in this these sort of things but okay. the older generations are still a bit hesitant mm -hmm. and they only start investing when they when they see headliners saying bitcoin is reaching one million yep. rand and then mm -hmm. all of them suddenly want to get involved um but yeah, I think we'll we'll be waiting a good while before we can do that. I mean, Elon yes. was saying you could buy like Teslas with Dogcoin at uh -huh. some point, and now he just retracted all of that, I believe, mm -hmm. which uh, is is funny. It's a bit funny. Yeah, I think there is the best part about cryptocurrency. In many ways, it's unregulated. The worst part is all the things we ended up regulating investing for to prevent exploitation, rampant in crypto. So if you're going in the, I feel. If you just say, I'm going to bet my whole future on crypto, that's a, that's a dangerous bet. There's a lot of cryptos out there and a lot of shady yeah. things going on. At the same time, you're saying, you know, I'm interested in this. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Here is a, even if I take it, for me, I don't really view it as an investment, but it is a huge opportunity to cut down on just transactional costs. So, mm -hmm. right, if I do an or a trade of somebody, I need to have a third party verified, a credit card company typically, make sure that this transaction goes through, but they're picking up a fee. Crypto, if I just dump it into a corporate wallet, all of a sudden I have no extra fee. Maybe they'll pass those savings to me. I'm, you know, everything's 2% cheaper, 3% cheaper. Oh, that sounds interesting. Uh, so I, I can't wait for the utility side of things to grow out, but I don't know which crypto is going to be the winner. It needs to be good at transactions, anonymous, uh, and also very cheap to mine, not minimal environmental damage as well, which is interesting. Yeah, the in the environment thing i haven't read up on too much i uh -huh. just assumed that most mining takes up an incredible amount of energy yep 100 um it That's would be it. interesting knowing which coin is the most uh, environmentally friendly because yes. i have no idea i don't know either offhand i'll be honest but that is a huge factor in i think the future whatever mm -hmm. one takes up the least amount of electricity to keep track of all the transactions that's going to be the winner or at least potentially one of the factors that will probably help that one win in the end 
Oh, it's so cool. I would, I would hope so, right? I would yeah. hope so. It's, it's so, so interesting if you try to describe mining to the average person. It's a weird concept that you can mine coins. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, I'd never do it. I just don't have the processing power in my PC to really get anything out of it for the amount of electricity you'd have to use. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I was thinking that Bitcoin was going to be the standard currency. And then you have Ethereum, uh, a close second. Ethereum doing yeah. very well at the moment. Um yeah, I was very angry at myself because back when Ethereum was like a thousand rand, I had like, you know, 40, 50 of it and then nothing happened. I took it out. Now I have four Ethereum and that already is like 130,000 rand. And I always wow. regret it um, because I always take it out just too soon. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, then you have Litecoin and then fourth you have Ripple. Now, Ripple uh -huh. was an interesting one because at first it was only a few rand, so it would have been something like a dollar maybe. Yeah. And um, then uh, they were taken to court because uh, people said, well, it's not a real uh -huh. cryptocurrency because you're more like a bank. You're, you have a, you know, it's easier to manipulate this. And it's this big thing in court, but it seems like Ripple might just win. And if that happens, I think Ripple mm -hmm. will skyrocket. So... I still have a few yeah. hundred ripple as it's not worth a lot right now, but if it becomes something, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. like an investment and if it doesn't pay off, it doesn't pay off, but don't put all yeah. of your life savings in it, you know, uh, be yes. careful. It's, you always have to have a little bit in the bank and just keep it safe. Yeah. I think, I think you, I would agree with your words of wisdom there of, look, if you want to play the game of crypto, go for it. There is a nature of hot potato to it, but at the same time, it really well could be the future trying to figure out which one it will be. And a lot of people have made some money on it. On the other hand, though, also just as via our uh, volatile, right? If Ripple, let's say, for example, did poorly in courts around the, the world, all of a sudden things could get messy or the government changes tax codes around mm -hmm. crypto. Don't be all in on the crypto. Doesn't mean you can't have a finger or two in it, but you want to sit there and say, okay, if, if all the cryptocurrencies started to go downhill in a massive fall, which it did a couple months ago, you know, I want to make sure I have my stocks. I own companies that will make me money. I have some money in the bank for emergencies. I have a whole portfolio. Uh, so That's great. That's you awesome. know your stuff, and it's very good. I still need to get involved in stocks. That's the one uh -huh. thing I have not yet done. That always seemed like an adult game to me, and I, I still feel deep down like I'm 16, mm -hmm. and I need to be careful with my little bit of money. Uh -huh. And when I, I heard of cryptocurrencies, it was just so accessible because I could now use an app. Like, mm -hmm. I know my family, they got wallets and, you yep. know, that's also a different way to do it. But I, I just got a South African app that was very reliable and they gave you the top four cryptocurrencies and I could use my bank account, just send it over and it was safe. And yep. I, I like that. I like the fact that, you know, it's hopefully doesn't get hacked or something, but uh -huh. I've got my, pass, uh, my password, it's written in the book, it's put in a, a safe uh -huh. place. And uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting phenomenon because the uh, the court system also needs to adjust. We, you know, if someone dies uh, without mm -hmm. a will, you know, you have a certain way of uh, distributing their possessions. And yes. we have more old people uh, dying mm -hmm. with cryptocurrencies and wow. people can't find the passwords and families can't access the money, which is mm. a big deal. And um, I, I got my grandparents involved in crypto. Okay. <laughs> and um yeah, so if they lose all their money, I, I essentially will lose some of my inheritance one day, but hopefully that doesn't happen. <laughs> but um, I help them plan. very carefully invested in, yeah, just the safest cryptocurrencies, a little bit of the money. 
and uh, I made sure we got the pass for uh, the password sorry mm -hmm. down and we put it in a very secure place because if something happens to them, you know you need to be able to access mm -hmm. this. And again, yes. the government doesn't know that's the that's the problem, right? Because you won't be paying tax on that, mm -hmm. and you should. But you just transport it from one wallet to another, and yep. it's as easy as that, right? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's so interesting. So you mentioned that you not only have your grandparents on this, but like your parents just got wallets. Is that true? Is that mm -hmm. common in South Africa? That like a lot of people, uh, or is it just that you introduced mm -hmm. everybody? <laughs> I'm introducing everyone. <laughs> interesting. And do they? No. Mm -hmm. um, do your parents like yeah, no, it? The... Mm -hmm. Uh, do that with the my parents like crypto? Yeah, like do you got your grandparents in there? You got your parents in this? Like this is for me the the tipping point, right? This is what has to happen for crypto to start destroying financial institutions. Because why would you use a credit card if you get two percent, three percent back from mm -hmm. using crypto to cut them out of the deal? Same with using a bank. Like if you're cutting these out, it's fascinating and so if you're if your parents are starting to use it in transactions like that that is a generational jump that catches my eye mm -hmm. so are your parents liking to it or are they taking to it tell me about that oh yeah yeah normally really? people are extremely judgmental of these things and i get that i was too um because it, it's a psychological phenomenon i it's what is it called again i always forget this term it's, uh, I remember, I remember and I'll let you know, but it's, you, you either hate something or you love it. There isn't an mm -hmm. in-between because your brain needs to justify the reason you're not doing a certain thing. And it often struggles to do that. So it, you end up either hating it or loving it because again, you need to justify where you're missing out. Mm -hmm. And so I initially hated it as well for no reason. I just hated yep. it because my cousin was making so much money and I just thought... <laughs> You know, this isn't a viable thing. This shouldn't be a, a thing uh -huh. at all. And then uh, later, I, I got convinced and I got Luno, the app we use in South Africa, and I invested a thousand rand, which is mm -hmm. about like $80. And I just let it sit and I watched it grow just a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. And at some point, it's it's viable enough to actually, you know, I showed my mother and I said, look, I just put in j this little amount of money. If I lose it, it's all right. But look, it's growing. And mm -hmm. if I had this amount of money and it would have grown by this much and it's quite stable, like it drops, mm -hmm. but it grows again and it drops and it grows yep. and exponentially gets a lot more. So we both put in money and at some point we've put in, well, I have most of my savings in crypto because I'm young Ooh, and I can okay. afford to, you know, experiment a bit, but she put a large chunk of her uh, savings in, not that much, uh, uh -huh. you know, it's not even half of what she has, but she, my mom has made enough now to, like, it's a serious, like, it's like winning the lottery, a small mm -hmm. lottery, but yeah. winning the lottery, nevertheless, like the UPS I have in my garage, damn, that costed so much. It, <laughs> I needed it for casting for CDPR, but I couldn't uh -huh. tell anybody why, because it was too early and I signed a, um, a contract stating I couldn't talk about things. Yep. But it costed about, um, trying to think now, was it two, it wasn't $200, it was more like $2,000, yep, $2,000, and I bought that all with profits I made wow. off of my initial savings from Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and it's like, like, it's amazing, and yeah, it's it's very volatile, but like, with Ripple, I, I put half of my savings into it, and nothing happens for weeks, and then one weekend it just triples for no mm -hmm. reason. And you quickly take out all your money. And I mean, no bank does that. Yeah. You know, it 
and it, it's not normally that volatile that it does the opposite where it just decreases. That's uh -huh. normally when the bubble bursts and then you have to wait a few months before it gets back to where it was. But it's, uh, yeah, so that's how I got my whole family hooked. And I wow. mean, none of us have lost money yet. We're all in the green and you just have to be careful and you need to wait it out if it falls because you never take your money out on a loss. That's yeah. like the biggest rule. And people <laughs> panic and that's how they lose all their savings. Interesting, interesting. You you have nerves of steel because lots of people. When I was in the finance industry, uh, I worked in a call center. So if you had a question or a complaint, uh, and then eventually I specialized in retirement. But you call in. As soon as COVID hit, for example, I worked the phones, and you know, you get the call, and it's like, oh my gosh, all my money's going down. Sell everything, and I and I have to be there. It's like, yeah. So I can't advise you, but do you want to talk about your emotional state right now and whether you're like ready to invest and make investment decisions? It sounds like you've got that cool head. You're looking at crypto, which is oftentimes, generally speaking, much more volatile than stocks. And you're sitting there like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Went down 20%? Please, it's a Tuesday. It'll be back in three months. Just wait it out. I give, you, I give you a lot of credit. That is the right kind of financial mentality, keeping a cool head, making the rational decisions for your situation. A lot of credit there. Mm -hmm. Thank you. But it, it came from hard lessons, let's put it like that. And uh -huh. again, I started off with a very little amount of money. So I had nothing to lose, really. And I did have that mentality at some point where you can see it dropping. You, you know, you can see people putting orders in and it's all in the red and it is dropping. And immediately you go into panic mode and you quickly want to sell because uh -huh. your logic is, well, it's going to drop more. I'd rather sell now and then buy late, later. Yep. And then I, I do that and then immediate immediately just starts rising again for no reason at all and then i quickly buy and then it starts dropping so like that i've made like a little loss but mm -hmm. it was enough of a lesson to know when that happens and you have a large amount of money in it which i now have because it's all my savings um you don't touch mm -hmm. it it will go back and unless we have a sort of apocalypse in in crypto and it mm -hmm. just vanishes uh, you should be fine it will always go back to where it was eventually. Unless you're mm -hmm. playing with with uh, small coins, of course. Um, yes. If you're playing with altcoins, that's a totally different uh, you know, story. It's like, yes. you don't know dogcoin is going to go back. It, it might never go back. Um, yeah. You need to be careful. But it's, it's high risk, high reward. My goodness. It's incredible. Like, it's not, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I think it's, it's so interesting because I, I have... Uh, Crypto is not the one I flirted with, but I remember when... Um, I'm definitely more of the stock type of person where mm. I remember when GME was spiking up and then it started to fall, it fell, it went up like 300, fell down to, I think 90 bucks. And at that point I wanted to go back up because I enjoyed watching a hedge fund be on the losing end of the trade. If GameStop, this company right on the edge of bankruptcy stayed in it and the stock price was high, this hedge fund somewhere got screwed. I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So I bought some and then it kept going down. So I sold out like $40 later. And that is when I learned I am an I, I like risk of time when it comes to money. Like I would love to devote time into making a small business or our real estate. Like that is my thing. But when it comes to investing, oh boy, am I not a risky person? I like stocks, but I will buy an entire market. I'll just buy an index fund and buy up a market and be like, well, United States, I own every company in it. United States isn't going to go anywhere. I'll buy that and be done. Because that's where my confidence is. Like United States and the rest of the world isn't going anywhere. So if I buy up all of the companies, I'm good. But I love, I love that you have the confidence and courage. I wish I had that, that risk tolerance to be like, oh yeah, drop 20%, please, not a big deal. Instead, I know you have this big picture mindset. 
looking at all the benefits it's brought you how it helped like, you basically helped you enable like stability when streaming for uh and casting for cdpr helped your uh parents that's just so cool that's awesome uh would you think that do you think that like crypto is gonna when you look back on your this part of your life think crypto is just gonna be one of those things that was transformative like without it your life would be different or do you think it just like accelerates you forward it mm -hmm. certainly accelerates it's um the reason i'm i'm more like steady with it now is because i know how much i invested where i've taken like mm -hmm. bits of twitch money when i first started earning that little bit of monthly payout uh -huh. it's not a lot but it was it was a, a lot for me because it was my first real income and mm -hmm. I, I put it into bitcoin every time and i put it in and i know by now the amount i've put in, in well put in uh -huh. And the amount I've taken out as profits, I've almost taken out all of the money I've put in initially. Wow. And what's left is like, you know, times five, times 10, you know. So mm -hmm. I know I'm playing with, to me, it's like, you know, fake uh, game money. It's like Witcher currency. It's, uh -huh. it's not real. It's like a fun game. But then every now and then I get this reality check like, oh gosh, I need to upgrade my PC because it's, you know, uh -huh. it's buffering. And then I take out a chunk of that play money and it's suddenly into my bank account and it's real and it's it's a bit surreal and I don't think I'll ever get, you know, used to it. But if I, I like I like saving up the the fake game money uh -huh. in my in my cryptocurrencies and it, it makes me happy. But it, like I said, if I lost every single cent, it would be devastating, but it would still be money I would never have gotten if I um, didn't invest in cryptocurrencies to mm -hmm. begin with because it's almost all profits. I'm just playing around with at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting because it's almost you have you have such a great mentality. I do not have this mentality. I have an investing mind and it can make money dance and grow. Like that's easy for me to do, but I don't have that risk tolerance. Well, that you're saying they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's it's fake money. It's there, you know. And if it all went bankrupt, I'm basically at break even. But every so often, you have the moment of saying, okay, look, to go further in this life, I might need. Right now it's a PC upgrade. Maybe, you know, after you finish up your honors, you'll go, you'll say, well, I need a plane ticket to Toronto. And you'll pull up your little Bitcoin or your wallet with your different currencies, your Bitcoin, your Ripple, Ethereum, etc. You're like, oh yeah, I can afford all that. I'm just gonna withdraw what I need and off I go. That's crazy. I like that so much. But then while it's in there when all this volatility is happening, you're like, oh, Witcher coins, Witcher coins, who cares? It's like something of uh, the video games. I love that. And it's such a great yeah, it's mentality. like mm -hmm. it it hurts in a funny way like the oh no my monopoly money it's it's all gone mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'll, I'll just wait i'm like again i i at least i know that i am privileged enough to you know i i have parents who work very hard and so i have i have a roof over my head i have food so it's not like that money is going to define whether I get to eat the next day. Like I have the privilege of saving all my money. Well, unless I, I, I do have to put money into my own mm -hmm. setup and I, you know, I have to, you know, every, all the other things that go into Twitch and all of that, yep. I, I, I do pay myself. But it's if something goes wrong, I know at the end of the day, I still have family that will be able to help, yes. uh, which I mean, I know not a lot of people have that. So they might be in a, a, a bad situation if the stocks you know fall and if, mm -hmm. if crypto becomes non-existent that might mean like whether they have a house or not um mm -hmm. so i'm well aware of that uh 
that fact though at the yeah. end of the day no privilege is uh, it's complicated because i also have that so the reason i was able to quit my job and say look john you're going to start from zero on streaming you're just going to go for it this is after trying two other business ideas and failing both of them is because you know if i go broke like i go back crash on my uh, mom's couch and after my time at a tech startup that's what i did i burned out crashed there and had seven and a half a year trying to re-piece together my mind and find a new job and a new career path and i did that but that's also a privilege right uh i had a parent that our parents my dad would have taken me in as well where i could have just crashed on their couch i have a perfect safety net and i bounce back from zero but not everyone gets that. But it's also, I'm, I'm glad that you're using that, if that makes sense, right? You have ambition. You strike me as someone who is ambitious, right? You're trying cryptocurrency. You have a really thought out career path or idea for it and trying things step-by-step, step, getting your honors, and also trying again after you failed the first time. You have this, you, you know, and then you have like ambition to live abroad because you're thinking, oh man, what about future kids? Uh, do I really want them to grow up here? you you're really taking full advantage of what you're given and i love that so i get you have privilege but also i like that you're making the most of it to try to push yourself as far as you can uh, i think it's really impressive but, uh, uh, thank you i appreciate that it's i mean i i have I, I once heard this thing um it was some sort of inspirational quote from uh from someone i can't remember but that person was inspirational enough for me to take it seriously and it was it really struck me it was they, they asked yourself to, they said, imagine one day you were sitting on the couch and a portal opened up in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. And a different version of yourself from an alternate reality stepped out in front of you. And that version was the perfect version that you could possibly be with everything that you could possibly accomplish in this life on a realistic okay. level. And they asked, what difference would that version of yourself be compared to the one you are now? And that's really struck me because you, the moment you, you sort of think of this, you actually picture a version of yourself that you know you can attain and you know you aren't there yet. Uh -huh. And I, that, I hated that feeling because I saw myself with a degree. I saw myself, you know, streaming because back then I wasn't, I was too afraid of the concept to even try. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw myself uh, with all these things and I just realized, wow, like I don't, I never want to be in that position. I want to be the one who steps through the portal. So I started work every time I'm trying to figure out what's the next move. I think what, what version is going to step through that portal? And you just immediately get the answers. Like that version is going to do a degree in psychology right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm right. Okay. I'm going to do that. And I've reached a point where I, I, I feel very content with mm -hmm. the way things turned out. At least I know I've given my all. So that's all I want to look back at one day is, and no, I, I gave my all. So it could not have turned out better. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, it's not that I slacked in any way. It's, but yeah, it's, it, at least that's my, my yeah. life right now. And, you I, know, everyone has their mm -hmm. own path and everyone has their own little thing they really want to achieve. And yeah, I like the fact that you're streaming and you went for it. It's, it's, I have a lot of pe respect for people who end up streaming because they all have that thing in common where they want to achieve something, you know, and you always start off with a lot of doubt when you start streaming yes. and, yeah, getting where you are right now. I mean, it's extremely impressive. And yeah, hats off to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think there is a... And I was just talking about this Freddie Babes yesterday uh, about we both have the same thought. And it's actually, ironically, very similar to the same exact way you view it. Same conclusion, different way to visualize it. Where I often visualize, you know, if I'm about to die in an hour, 
like 50 yeah. years ahead in my life, like in hospice, on a bed, middle of the night, 2 a.m., I am alone, and I realize I'm going to pass away. You know, I've lived my full life. There's no future to look forward to. I can't do anything in the present. I can't move. I'm about to pass away now. I'm old, crippled. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. The only thing I can do is look at my past and say, how did I do? Like, what, what do I think about what I've accomplished? And am I satisfied? And I feel like that's ironically the exact same thing as the best version of yourself, where you're looking yes. at basically, and when I look back, I'm saying, what did I do? When you're looking to your best version of yourself, you're looking forward, but they're both looking at the same thing, that path to your full potential. And I thought oh, it's so cool. Mm -hmm. And then the, the pursuit of that is so scary. I, I still wake up and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? Then I turn off the camera and get back to work uh, because it, it, there's a scariness in trying to pursue that potential. And again, I feel like it goes back to your mentality, this drive you have to be your best self and take those risks, take those chances and push yourself forward. Do you think, do you have any advice for people that are struggling with that? Because I feel like when people get that and they're willing to overcome their own fears, the drive is there and they will push themselves, but there's a lot of fear there. What would you say to someone mm. struggling with that? I don't, I, I, you, what, are, what are your views on Jordan Peterson before I uh, continue? Okay, so it's so funny. I saw someone in the chat mention it. And so Jordan Peterson is an interesting character. I would divide his, I would divide part of his stuff from the rest. Part of it is his self-help stuff. This is universal and he's trying to apply it to everyone. And there are flaws with it, but it does work for some people. And I give it mm -hmm. a lot of credit. His political stuff is very different. And I feel yes. that he roots a lot of it in a straw man argument where mm -hmm. it's this, it appeals to a certain group of people who do not want to worry about, like want a very traditionalist view, but he straw mans this like artificial Marxist to appear that doesn't appear because Marxism is kind of on the, it's not really popular the most successful communist nation in the world is china which has a capitalist market plenty of inequality and like the full capitalism shebang this like this marxism inequality is in our yeah. marxism equality that he fights against doesn't exist i feel like it's very people but his self-care uh stuff about competing against yourself trying to initiate things mm -hmm. definitely can work for some people and there's some interesting thoughts there but don't definitely don't agree with everything he says what are your thoughts on jordan pearson okay. Well, I totally agree with you. He, and no one is perfect. Uh -huh. So, uh, yeah, definitely don't have a cult vibe there uh, to Jordan. But, um, no, with, with regards to his self-help, I, I find that extraordinary most of the time. Uh -huh. and it's just very applicable to a lot of things I agree with, which obviously is going to be subjective at the end of the day. But, um, yeah, so there's two things I can mention that would be quoting him with regards to you know, that thing we talked about with like existential anxiety uh -huh. of death and the portal thing. Yes. It's well with him, he says, you're always going to face anxiety, right? Now you're, you're going to have a big barrier in front of you and you have two options. You can either run away back from the barrier, which he always calls the dragon. That's just his way of referring uh -huh. to anything. And you're, you can run away, but you're still going to experience that anxiety and you're not going to achieve a single thing. Mm -hmm. Or you can run towards it, overcome it. You're still going to experience anxiety, but whilst you're doing it, you're going to actually achieve something. And yes. that in itself, it's it's a very, very simple thing to say. And it's very mm -hmm. obvious. But like with myself, I always tended to procrastinate a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's my way of running away from the task at hand. And you didn't feel better while procrastinating. You yes. feel a large amount of anxiety. Now, when I feel that anxiety, I go ahead and I do the 
the stupid task <laughs> and at <laughs> least at the end of the day i have achieved something and the anxiety yes. goes away but um yeah his his thing he said that's very similar to what you and i just discussed is that um he calls it the self-authoring program where you should picture your life in 10 years from now and you should write again the best mm -hmm. thing you could possibly achieve like in every aspect of your life if you went ahead now and started working on all of these things where would you be in 10 years and then you need after that you do the exact opposite and you say all right well if i continue doing what i'm doing now and i'm not doing all of these things where will i end up in 10 years then and mm -hmm. normally that is has a very bad answer and that fear is what should drive you to achieve the exact opposite of it and mm -hmm. that's normally what I do. It's, it's nice. what if I fail my degree now? It's can I redo my degree or am I stuck in South Africa and I can't even leave the country because I, I don't have an honors degree and mm -hmm. where do I end up then? And the same with streaming, you know, it's, it's all of that. You keep asking yourself, all right, but what if I don't do it? What happens then? And that, yeah, well, that's what drives me. It's a bit of an existential anxiety to say the least, because it, it will fill you with angst, but like he said you can ignore it you can mm -hmm. be oblivious to it and you can just like do nothing yes but that's not going to make it go away that's just going to make you ignorant of what's about to happen in you mm -hmm. know in a few years time and when it comes it's going to be too late yes i think drea i would agree upon a lot of that and that's the kind of stuff that works well for me as well this fear of what will you be if you don't try to seek your full potential and on then versus what you could potentially be. Now, there are real sacrifices that come with trying to seek your own, or your own potential. For example, streaming is unbelievably taxing on hours of content creation. I'm sure in your case of studying streaming, uh, we haven't even gotten to it. And maybe we will, maybe we won't. I don't know how much time you still have. But for being ah, a writer, here. you're still here. <laughs> Perfect. Being a writer, you have all these things going on and then it, you have to make sacrifices. And that's kind of the kicker. It's like, okay, if I'm spending all my time doing all these things, I might not have enough time to hang with my friends as frequently. Or maybe I won't be taking vacations as often. Like, what does that... And then there's that sacrifice component of it. But that fear, that drive. And also wanting something to be that version of yourself, it's kind of like a mix. Like a dark, dark motivator of, I'm afraid of not being my full potential. And the positive motivator of, man, wouldn't I really like to be my full potential? And going for it, mm, that is my jam. I think my only critique mm -hmm. of Jordan Peterson's philosophy there, which is why I don't think it applies to everyone, but definitely works for me. I think it sounds like it yeah. clearly works for you. Is what if your perfect image of yourself is a really bad choice? Uh, so I often think of somebody who like, if you, my, my goal was to be like a magazine, like the magazine models that are all edited of computers. That's not a possible dream. I might pursue it, but there's no way to get there and achieve mm -hmm. it in a healthy, sustainable fashion. So that's my, yeah. well, my biggest critique on his self-help side, which I think is by far Jordan Peterson's strongest part, is if you have a bad image of what you think you should be doing, it all falls apart. There's no grounding on like some baseline stuff you should always be hitting. But that's my only critique of it. That's, very, mm -hmm. that's a very interesting way to look at it. I mean, it's spot on. I mean, then then the problem goes much deeper, obviously. Uh -huh. Like, it's he's solutions are very umbrella termish it's yes. i feel like it attracts the people that need that advice like myself like he i've been watching him since high school and of course it's been a lot of politics and it's all american politics so uh -huh. it's yeah. uh, that's it, 
it was interesting because when I started speaking about him in my stream when I was a bit younger, I was a big fan. And like the people would be like, yeah, they hate him. And I uh -huh. had no context for that because I was only watching his self-help videos. And I mm -hmm. thought, how on earth could you hate the guy? And then I saw where the controversy was coming from. It was because of the new law they wanted to implement in Canada. And that's a whole different conversation. Yes. But um, yeah, no, I can totally see how some of his advice, you, you'd have to tackle that that problem. Like you just mentioned, someone mm -hmm. wanting to attainable something that's not healthy. Yes. I, that needs to be tackled in therapy because that's mm -hmm. going to seep into everyday life, whether you plan on achieving that goal or not, you know? Yes. That's um, a, mm -hmm. But certainly, I, I think ideally when you use the self-authoring program, you'd ideally want to give it to a psychological professional to read and ask what they think about it. Uh -huh. I, I think that would solve that problem is yes. if someone can tell you whether that's a realistic thing you're striving for or whether you're just going to burn out along the way because it's impossible and it's unhealthy and you shouldn't be pursuing that at all. Yes, I agree. I think if you go to a psychological professional that works, another way is just if Jordan Peterson or really as someone you admire, if you lay out a couple of basic things that they do that might help you break down the image from the reality. So if I would say like, let's say I want to be Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm not going to get... Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm never going to look like him, right? I, I also hate working out. But I might say, you know, some things I really like is he's really funny. I can take improv classes and get funnier. That is a skill. Uh, you know, he's really fit. I can go to the gym and get fit and go at that for a decade. Now I might not go ever look quite like him. But I can take some of the principles hey, that he has. You can and try. Gonna, I mean, I could go bald. I kind of like my hair, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep the hair. Uh, uh, it suits you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think that's my critique of Jordan Peterson. His uh, political stuff, I think, is easier to critique. It's a lot, I think it's on shakier ground, and it attracts a different type of people. But it's so funny. I really wish Jordan would just double down on the self-care stuff. His self-care stuff is really good, and you could leave a great legacy of that. The other aspects, yeah. eh, it means some popular, but I'm not sure. I mean, it's his I, belief, but it's his, I think it's his Achilles heel. Uh, yeah. But. I mean, I, I'm attracted to some of his peculiar things because he... He talks about things that nobody talks about. Like he, I don't know if you've, you know, people often refer to the lobster thing. Um, I don't know if you saw no, his interview with Kathy Newman, but yeah. So it's very interesting because he bases this off of a study. And so he, his arguments, and I'm just talking about the theory here. I'm not for or against it. I don't have the knowledge to comment on it, but so he was talking about the hierarchy and people are trying to disentangle or dismantle the hierarchy that we have in, you know, our society. And what his point was, is that it's ingrained in our biological systems. Uh -huh. And so what he did was he referenced studies that uh, sort of took us back in evolution to all the way to a common ancestor with lobsters. Uh -huh. Now, this shouldn't be shocking. We share a lot of DNA with bananas. You can look this yeah. up. So the fact that we Thank have you. a lot of common uh, DNA or well, genetics with lobsters, it shouldn't be too shocking. But anyway, so the study showed how hierarchies affect the amount of serotonin and dopamine in lobsters. The lower a lobster was in the hierarchy, the more the less dopamine and serotonin his brain excretes. And okay. it was directly programmed in order to justify his hierarchical hierarchy. Uh, my English. No, you're yeah, good. My English is terrible. In the hierarchy. 
and uh -huh. <laughs> yeah my english sucks <laughs> and uh what it basically showed was we have the exact same sort of brain neural um mm -hmm. what do you call it uh, synapses and all of that yep. jazz going on where our happiness is directly affected by the hierarchy. It's not totally dependent on it. I mean, there are millions of things that affect your happiness, but the hierarchy has a direct influence on it, which just goes to show that humans will always strive for power. And where you are in that hierarchy is so important for your mental health. If you go out of high school and you just don't pursue anything and you sort of drop out of society, your brain registers the fact that you're very low in the hierarchy and it affects your you know happiness it it can lead you into depression and the higher you go into the system the more mm -hmm. happy you become now i'm not saying become a ceo you know i'm mm -hmm. saying just you know find your position in society you know and build on that even if it's just studying or you know becoming a streamer you know having a hundred mm -hmm. people watch your your podcast right now that directly affects the way your brain perceives your situation in the hierarchy and it's it's an interesting way but you should go mm -hmm. and read his uh, 12 rules of life where he actually talks yep. about it 20 times better than i just attempted to paraphrase it but it, it's these sort of things that it's it's so incredibly interesting for me if if you awesome. can base it on science that is so you're talking about the hierarchy and i agree i think there is a nature of people that organize themselves in the hierarchy to differentiate themselves, understand their place in the world. And it's just like a mental shortcut of if I am here, then I do this, this, and this. Uh, probably honestly best illustrated in many ways in India with the caste system where, you know, you're born, like oh, here yeah. you go. But paradoxically, I would say, if you always focus on hierarchy, you kind of miss the point to an extent where you mm -hmm. can, I'll think of uh, Dr. K from Healthy Gamer, or also known as Healthy Gamer GG. He's a therapist who does a lot of streaming as well, talks about therapy. And he talks about how he's these corporate executives coming in and they're just unhappy. And they're at the top of like the social hierarchy, but they're still unhappy. They didn't actually find it. When I think it's important to mm. differentiate that if you're viewing things like a hierarchy as, I don't know where he, where he, Jordan Peterson goes with this, but this is where I would go with it, where I wouldn't view hierarchy as money or power. I would view it as a hierarchy of potentials of you. And the more you're hitting your potential and are satisfied of that potential, probably the happier you'll be. And the less you feel like you're hitting your potential, the more unhappy you're going to be. But that isn't necessarily relative to other people. That is mentally to you. Now, of course, in part of this pyramid, you probably want things like food, water, shelter, safety, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they should be a part of it in whatever abundance you need. But that peak self does not mean you have to be Jeff Bezos, who recently got divorced. You can be, you know, run your own small company, a streamer. Maybe you're very satisfied that you're a good spouse. Maybe you're very satisfied that you have a beautiful garden that you work on every day. And that can bring that, I feel like, that hierarchy, that peak hierarchy of comparing yourself against yourself. So that's, that's my 100%. thought. 100%. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree with you. The thing is, I think where people go wrong is, like the thing I mentioned about the hierarchy just now, people, they take what they want to hear and they they center their entire life around that. Mm -hmm. And that's never good because there are so many things that go along with it. And like his comment was essentially like subconsciously where you are in the hierarchy will affect how happy you are. Yep. But 
that's not everything. I mean, you're going to have CEOs who are depressed because they are working all the time to retain that position and their, yep. their family life is falling apart. They're not happy. They don't know what the purpose of life is. You know, it's, it's, I mean, but they would be more sad if they were doing all of that and they were a little bit lower in the hierarchy, yeah. <laughs> essentially, is, is what that would come down to. But mm -hmm. yeah, he's just, I think he, he started going on a lot more about politics when he got pulled into it with the whole can Canadian legislation thing. Um, mm -hmm. And where he sort of tries to compare us to animals. Oh, I just happen to love animals. So <laughs> I find it very interesting because the other one he was talking about is, you know, people were saying, well, people go to war and people shouldn't go to war. Uh -huh. And, you know, we're the only, you know, living beings who do that. And he, he was like, no way, that's not true. No. I mean, they have documented tribes of apes who yep. actually went to war with each other. They uh -huh. had two groups and these apes literally went into each other's territories, you know, and uh -huh. fought to the death. And it was just more proof that it's, it's not something we're, you know, we're doing that not, none mm -hmm. of the other animals are doing it's something that's ingrained within us it's not a good thing mm -hmm. it's you know it's something we should actively strive against but knowing where it comes from it's it's not just a human concept it's it's just the way we are we're tribal beings and mm -hmm. you know it's good to know that so it, because when you can name something you can you can fight against it so knowing the way we're programmed to function you know that's the first step and i i quite like that yeah, I think I'm, I'm in agreement there. Knowing, acknowledging your bio, our biology, though paradoxically we have to also acknowledge our self-awareness, self-actualization of, hey, we have we now have an intelligence that circumvents this also this impulsive biology in us. And we have to kind of justify the two. You're always focused on saying what you know. All your mind is like, I'm thinking, I must act, and here's like my place in society. You're probably not going to satisfy that hidden like. Id, as uh, Freud called it, right? My needs, my wants, my things I must get now, oh, now, now. Huh. We hmm? just studied it, and it's it's so interesting. I love yeah. that you know about it. Well, thank you. I try to try to keep informed as best I can, especially with you as I yeah. keep doing more of these You're interviews. You're educated. It's it's great. Yeah, well, I'm, I love I'm, it. I'm feeling super good that I watched all those Jordan Peterson interviews and presentations. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, wow, that's really paying off right now. <laughs> yeah, this talk. And I know what we're talking about. It feels good. Uh, but I think it's really important, actually. I think self-education goes a long way. We kind of talked about the paradox earlier of how education is buying your ticket. In your case, it's a much bigger ticket than mine. It's mine's like, John, you get a job somewhere, but you, you, your ticket might be the ticket out of the country. So set up a better mm -hmm. life for yourself elsewhere. But paradoxically, mm -hmm. I would say, while my education made me curious, it's the stuff I learned self-taught myself outside of it that helps me build in all these other areas I missed. Probably a difficulty of the fact that job specialization is such a key thing in a capitalist society where you need to be really good at one thing. But really, like, you probably need a good general knowledge as well. And that latter bit is on you yes. to fill out. So how did you discover Jordan Peterson in the first place? Um, before before I answer it, that one, um, do you know the saying of um, a jack of all trades but a master, and a master of one? No, but I, I have a, I've not heard that particular phrase. I've heard jack of all trades, master of none, not master of one. Or would you say the word none or one? One the number and none like nothing. Sorry, it's a master of none. I said yeah, it incorrectly. Yeah. Um, do you know, uh, yeah, uh, you know the phrase a jack of all trades, but a master of none? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that's my fault. No, all good, all good. Um, yeah, you, yeah. Familiar. You know the rest of the phrase, though, because no. a lot of people don't. I don't. Teach me. 
Okay, so the actual phrase that people just decided to cut out was a jack of all trades but a master of none is oftentimes better than a master of one. Ooh, and fancy. it's it's the actual phrase. Now, I repeat it, which is, makes it, it totally changes the meaning because mm -hmm. it basically insults you for not having, uh, you know, ma uh -huh. a master in a trade. But what it says is a jack of all trades, but a master of none mm -hmm. is oftentimes better than a master of one. So having mm -hmm. a general knowledge of a lot of subjects instead of having only a lot of knowledge of one subject is oftentimes mm -hmm. just better. So yeah. it's, it's quite interesting that, yeah, the, the way you stated it just now about, you know, specializing one particular field versus having a knowledge of all, mm -hmm. it's true. It's, it's normally better to have a lot of knowledge of all trades, but you know, in our society, you kind of need to be an expert in one thing. You need to be the best at that thing. And that's the way you get the job. And that's the way you rise in the hierarchy. And yep. you know, that we're, not everyone's cut out for that, especially since you have one person at the top of that hierarchy and mm -hmm. not everyone can win. It's, it's not good. Yeah, well, not, not only can not everyone win, and there's also the paradox of going back to that biology. Like, what does what do human beings need to do to be engaged? So I'm reading my I'm rereading. I'm trying to get back into reading, and my rule of reading is usually at least the trend is if I read two good books in a row, I will fall in love with reading, and I will read like a fiend. And I have two bookshelves in my other room. Like that is important. In my one bedroom apartment, there are two bookshelves full. Uh not like just oh, a shelf, great. but like each bookshelf has multiple shelves, and they're just packed. Uh, but if I read two good books in a row, I'm super addicted to reading. I'll read a ton. If I read two bad books in a row, I'm just done with reading, and I'll be like three months before I try again. Uh, so I'm trying to cheat right now by rereading my favorite business book of all time, which is a, a book written by a Brazilian author about his company. Uh, the book's called Maverick by Ricardo Semler. I, have you heard okay. of Tim Ferriss? I'll shot. Tim, Tim uh, Ferriss. Did he write a book? He wrote, he wrote The 4-Hour Workweek, Tools of Titans. Oh, you should, uh, you should, you should write the, this like, one down. The only economy book I've ever read was Rich Dad Poor Dad. I normally okay. go towards psychology and, uh, but not economy. But but uh, no, no, this isn't. This is business. This is business. Uh, but no, you should first. All let right. me note a couple of things. First, you should write down the words Tim Ferriss. We like Jordan Peterson and that, and this oh, business wow. side. This would be the person on like the the bridge, the bridge you're looking for, the bridge of business and Jordan Peterson. Tim Ferriss got really famous for writing a book on how he made a bunch of money by only working four hours a week. I mean, a ton of money. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's kind of cheesy how he did it, but just like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's kind of like the like entryway. But what he does that's really good is if you go further, what he did is he not only propelled it into a really good like private investing career, he like was one of the earliest inve investors in Uber. He then propelled his fortune, uh, fame and fortune to let him interview all kinds of top um, people in each of their fields, whether you're like an Olympian, multi-billionaire, et cetera. Got to interview all these people. And I ran into Ricardo Semler when he was being interviewed or somebody was interviewing about him, him with Tim Ferriss. Ricardo Semler is fascinating. Basically, he took the free market but tried to adapt it to human nature and made an unbelievably successful company in Brazil because he challenged a lot of the ways we approach things and tried to almost, in many ways, align it better with biology. Where in... How Europe developed capitalism is assembly line, like Henry Ford or Perform Taylor. You know, everyone does a little like crank on a turn, very specialized. Like this, you are the master of turning the wrench in this particular manner. And you're going to do it 100,000 times today. And you'll do 100,000 tomorrow. And we're going to keep feeding you that task. And what Semler did, which I think was so fascinating, was 
I'm reading, I'm rereading it to cheat a little bit just to enjoy the book. But he pointed out that like, look, instead of having people do this boring thing over and over and over and you get like disengaged, meet people where their biology's at. Keep them engaged by giving them different tasks. Force them to change jobs sometimes. Give them multiple different things to do in a day to engage with it. I think that's fascinating. I'm not sure how we got down this path, I confess. I got really caught up in the book and I was very excited. But I think it's that bridge for it me. sounds extremely interesting. Well, I would recommend it. Maverick by Ricardo Semler. And my favorite book where it, it, for me, it reminds me of that bridge of biology is at the end of the day in us. And we can build systems mm -hmm. that go with it or against it. Might as well gear them towards with it. Like how Jordan Peterson of self-help, your biological, try to work with your biology move forward, uh, you know, face your fears, but also acknowledge that they're there and they're not going to go away. Push forward instead of giving into your biology or trying to deny your biology and burning out. It's that, it's that hybrid. I don't have it's, a, I don't have yeah, a note. Mm -hmm. Please. No, it's extremely interesting. Yeah, what you're saying, it's like nature versus nurture. It's always that. It's, um, I see someone asked in chat whether there's free will. I mean, because you have to determine like uh, where does biology and environment meet and yes. is, there, is there more to it? I see you're laughing. What? Oh, I was laughing. Question. That was part of the comment. We, uh, the Freddie Babes interview, that was in there. If you want to see a lot, a lot of talk on free will, go to the interview from yesterday on the YouTube or the Spotify. But uh, laughing about it. Uh, I'm going to check it out. Okay. Well, you, I, is there free will? What, what's the conclusion? So, so it was really interesting. So I was watching, do you know Alan Watts by chance? Uh, I do. I know the name, but I have zero idea what the context he, is. He is my guilty pleasure philosopher. He is the philosopher that I listen to, and I just want to feel good and like really warm up. He he's he's very skilled at taking big ideas that are like spiritual and bringing them down to earth in two sentences. And he was challenging the id ego and super ego, uh, talking a bit about mm -hmm. it. Where we have this, we have our sense of free will. And we decide things. For example, I can decide to take a sip of water, right? But you pointed yes. out, what, 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 who made the decision that I should decide that whether I should take a sip of water just now? Who said, who, what, what, when I never decided to decide. I just said, I need to decide whether I want a sip of, you know, a sip of water right now. I need to decide what words come out of my mouth. But where is the decision that mm -hmm. tells me I should make this decision? Well, that's an involuntary action. That gets really weird, mm -hmm. right? We have this self-actualization in the system, but we're really like a part of this bigger system because our, our free will, our conscious, is very much dictated by an unconscious force, an involuntary force. Because our involuntary force is kicking on our consciousness to say, pay attention here, pay attention there, decide here. And while we make a decision consciously, it's almost like a sensor, as opposed to this, you know, self, oh, I'm so free will, I'm making decisions, but... Something else involuntary, subconsciously, that we have no control over is telling us to make a decision on something. It's pushing us to. That gets really weird. Things get free will. It gets really mucked up really fast if you're constantly saying, well, what made me decide? What told me I must make a decision here? Or to even visualize it as a decision. So I think, well, what are your thoughts there before I go further? Oh, well, you said you think. What, what, what's well, your conclusion there? Well, I think, I think he has a good point. And for Alan Watts, his grand idea, and I'm gonna, this is what he jumps to in that particular talk, he instantly jumps to it because it's the obvious conclusion, is saying, like, look, 
everything is one system and he refers to this as god or the godhead like it's all one you're not different from everything you are as much a chair as the chair is you uh and remember notice this involuntariness to it all you're just part of it all you're not you're not separate there's no you might visualize it separate your consciousness might choose to decide to visualize itself separately but you're very much linked to it in, in the sense there is no separation we make your own separation but you're linked to it all and as a result, you can't not be in the right place at the right time. You are exactly as you're supposed to be. So doesn't mean don't seek your goals, right? And chase your dreams, right? Alan Moss is very big about chasing your dreams and making fun of the current systems. Uh, where he's like, well, everyone's teaching each other. They're basically, you live your life to retire. You get there, you hated everything, and then you teach your kids to do it again. Uh, makes fun of it all. And the systems of educating, getting rid of creativity, and are closing us out. And I think there is a lot of truth to it, where there's kind of a sense of chase your dreams, do what you can, you have your life, experience life, but you also are life, you also are everything. There is truly at the end of the day, very much an involuntary nature to that, and you are connected to everything. You're defined by everything, and vice versa. You can't not be in the right place, because there isn't anything else, you're all linked. But there is that other part of saying, like, it's okay to have it, be separated, focus on your life, do your best. But... You know, when the going gets tough, I like to think like, oh, yeah, well, at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I'm part of it all. It's okay. This is how it's meant to be. But let's keep pushing forward, giving my best to hit the next thing I want. Paradox. But I think it's a healthy paradox to keep in mind and then lean into it to different parts at different times. Those are my thoughts about free will. So I'd probably say no. I'd lean more towards no. But you should still treat it as a yes. But it really isn't there. Mm-hmm. I'm uh what, what uh, yeah i I, lo I love that explanation by the way what i'm getting from that is that you're likely not spiritual yes uh say that one more time cut out for a sec you're likely not spiritual uh yes i'm not a very spiritual person uh i think i specifically especially not religious i can make an okay argument that there is a god if i want to say if i want to take a different route which is saying the rules of this life are really well defined like there's a logic to the madness that makes me suspicious, but I, I'm that God has confessed. I'm not waiting for the second coming of Jesus. I'm not waiting. I'm not worried about going to hell. Like these, these, these are not worries on my plate. Uh, are you um, elaborate though? You did point that out. Where'd you want to go at this point? That is so th that's what separates me from religion and spirituality. As in religion is sort of a story that goes along trying to explain things in a in a manner whereas i mm -hmm. let's say there was more to life than what we see before us i'd say spirituality is what is religion mm -hmm. is what our idea of it is and of course yes. you're gonna have hundreds of religions and i think none of them are right uh -huh. <laughs> you'd, you'd because you'd probably have a little bit of each that is a little bit like onto something but yeah so when free will comes into play for me i'd say if if there was more to life than just the biological form, I'd mm -hmm. say that, you know, I'd say that you'd have to undergo ego death in a sense to really uh -huh. understand what free will is. Because the, the ego is you, the ego uh -huh. is John, the ego is literally your personality, your name, you know, and, and mm -hmm. you, you have to ask yourself, if, if that all went away, what's left? Yep. You know, um. what on earth survives if your body dies? If there mm -hmm. was anything after this, any sort of consciousness, what on earth would that be? 
because your brain doesn't exist anymore. Everything that makes you you ceases to exist. So if there was any sort of soul or anything like that, what would it be? You know, and you have these you have these monks, these Buddhist monks spending their whole life meditating away, trying to get rid of the ego. Um, you know, obviously mm -hmm. not the ego in an egoistical sense, but the yes. ego in the Freudian sense. Mm -hmm. and um trying to find out what's left right mm -hmm. um but yeah when it comes to free will i always thought if i if i were to construct a very unethical ex uh, experiment what i'd do is i'd clone 10 people and i'd clone a person 10 times i would put them in different rooms and i'd start asking them questions that are morally orientated and mm -hmm. if a single one of those clones answers a question in a different way than one of the others I feel that would prove the existence of a soul because if you have the exact same environment and you have the exact same biology, those clones should do the exact same things, answering the exact same questions. They would have the same mannerisms. Of course, you'd have this would be almost impossible to replicate because you can't have a single thing that's off. You know, you'd have to have the same person conduct the same interview at the same time mm -hmm. of the day. But um, yeah, that's where free will becomes very interesting for me. But um. Yeah, free will is a is a very interesting subject. I don't know how, how deep you'd like to go into it. I'm I'm willing to go wherever. I'm just here for a good conversation. That's the way I view it. Ignore the needs of the chat. I'm just here to have a good deep conversation. But if you want to go down this path, I'm happy to walk it. It's a fun one. So. Uh, yeah, it's just yeah. Oh well, it's just a lot of like. Again, I'm very open about things. I have no uh -huh. dead set belief. In it. it's just so you know so oh, i'm not good. in a defensive or in a uh, any sort of i'm mm -hmm. just theorizing which is fun but yeah mm -hmm. a lot of people like when they t t try to talk about religion and trying to disprove the possibility of let's put uh -huh. it like that the possibility that there's more to life they they often say well why why would evil exist right yep and my argument would always be well free will because if you're on this earth as a human you have to have free will right because what's the point then if if uh if you had some sort of deity who was able to stop evil from happening you know you'd have to have that deity control a person you'd you'd have to have him make hitler not do what hitler did and that would immediately you know take away hitler's free will his consciousness and he would just be a sort of pu a puppet right uh -huh. and that's always my sort of argument for the existence of evil because free will exists and it gives us the option to do bad things and you can't stop people from doing bad things it's it's just one of those things in life right and and that's why i think free will exists but okay. um yeah i i think uh, free will exists think, uh, at the end of the day i think there's, there's more to it i think i don't know if i go I, I hold people liable for their actions but i'm not sure how hard to go into like free will versus not free will like there's the ego but i feel like there is a connectedness to it all where there's that involuntary thing that forces you to make a decision or, you know, gears you towards a certain thing that makes me question that aspect of it. Not that I can do anything about it. My ego is here. It is the sensor that's guiding this uh, body, but this body is also complicated. Because, uh, you know, if I go to sleep and I wake up, the atoms are in a different formation. Like, am I still the same person as I fell asleep? Is there, am I different moment to moment? Is one dying every second? Like, every moment, the infinite copies of me die because now my thoughts are a little different it's weird i would say for your argument their thoughts on like good versus evil i would simply challenge my challenge would be very simple i want you to imagine a world uh 
with no light. Light does not exist on this world, not just world, but in the entire existence itself. Light is gone. I've removed it. Is there darkness? Like, if there was no light in existence, light. light itself, there's no light. Is there darkness? Okay. Yes. But I would see, I would argue. Because, mm -hmm. uh, darkness is the absence of light. But light never. Just as death is the absence of life. Right. It's. Right. Yeah, so a darkness, well, your argument would be that darkness, darkness in itself isn't an object, light is an object, and darkness is merely the word we use to describe the absence of light. Right. So, you, I, your, I, well, your argument could very well be that darkness in itself isn't something that exists, it's merely a word we use for the absence of something else, right? Correct, to an extent, in a sense of, they're, they're linked terms. If there is light... And then there can be an absence of light, then there must be darkness, right? If everything was light, there'd be no light or darkness. I mean, you could say there's a particle, but darkness wouldn't be there. Everything is light. But what I would say, if there's good, there must be evil. Because some, if some things are mm -hmm. better than others, we're just going to put whatever the negative things are is evil, and the positive things is good. So, for example, let's say every day you get a chocolate cake, but one day a month you'd only get one slice of chocolate cake, like a tragedy. That one day would be pretty evil. You'd wake up and you're... Ready for your chocolate cake and oh, oh, just one slice of chocolate cake. How dare me? Like, how horrible is that? I'm not sure that I would say, for me, I don't think either evil or good argument applies to God as much for if there is differentiation between things that help you and things, uh, there, if there's things that help you, there must be things that help you more or less, relatively speaking. Therefore, there must be evil as a result. So that, is, that is my inherent thought about that. I'm not sure. I don't think it would apply to like God or not God or free will or not free will. It's just like, you know, if there is going to be things that help you more and your ego more, then there's going to be things that hurt it more and those things must be evil. Mm, I, it's, it's, it's one of those, right? If, if only you could prove it physically, like the only way to prove that there's more to life than what we perceive would be to prove that there is more than just the body. You'd have mm -hmm. to prove there is a soul, but you have to do it scientifically, not with theory. You know, you'd need to be able to, it's, it's a very, it's a very difficult situation in order to, I mean, I, this is where, I, this is where my dirty pleasures come from. Mm -hmm. <laughs> don't, don't quote me on that. But, um, oh, the scientific proof. That's why I like going into the academia of people's subjective experiences of it. Now, obviously all of these things, I mean, they can may be disproven or well, they can't mm -hmm. be proven. Let's put it like that. So it's, it's more of you take someone's word for it or you don't, but like near-death experiences, uh, people claiming mm -hmm. they can astral project out-of-body experiences, all of that jazz, where you've actually had... Now, now this is where my interests come from, um, scientifically proving the existence of a soul. That would prove the existence of something like an afterlife, a different dimension, if you will, that coexists with the one we're on. I know this is getting out of hand, so just stop me if I am going too far here. But like something that coexists same consciousness has a physical form we can't perceive, right? So you've had people, I don't know if you know of the term of astral projection or remote viewing. It's, it's something the American government has actually studied. I mean, like really they have, oh, I can't hear you. I think you were muted. Aha, I did mute myself accidentally. Sorry about that. Uh, okay. I'm good. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. Can you hear me? All right. Perfect. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So yes, yeah, so, you know, United States has done. Yes, because I remember there was a very Remote famous. Viewing. 
Yeah, I remember viewing like when you're Buddhists describe it as like you're walking out of your body, an out of body experience. You can walk around. Yes. With you. Yes. Uh, I also know the U.S. government has done studies on that because there's once a mentalist who was really good at faking it to the point where they brought him oh, in yeah. to the U.S. government to just do studies on, and they falsely concluded that yes, he has magic powers. Um, oh no! <laughs> I, I detest people who fake things because it mm -hmm. puts all of the scientific stu uh, studies into jeopardy. Because it now, if I want to go into parapsychology, which is the study of anything, mm -hmm. anything supernatural, yep. you immediately picture someone faking something ludicrous. Yeah. And you can't, you can't have like because people really have near death experiences, and even if that's not a psych, uh, a spiritual thing, even if that really is the brain just giving off happy hormones when it dies and it, uh -huh. it creates these delusion um, hallucinations. Yep. You know, I want to be able to study that and pinpoint exactly what happens. And now if I want to pursue that, I'm immediately labeled a, you know, someone who's a bit, you know, all for, all for meds. But um, so, uh, for example, mm -hmm. people claim they can astral project. I want to study those people and see either A, whether it's true or B, what has gone wrong in their head. Uh -huh. <laughs> so... But the way to do this is something that has been done before. And of course, you can go and look at the studies. And obviously, you'd need to replicate these studies. But you'd have a person who claims they can they can do that, right? Uh -huh. so, so what they did is they, they locked this woman in a room. And they put a piece of paper in a different room and yeah. wrote a number on it. And what they'd tell her to do is, all right, you go ahead and do your thing. Astral project, go into the other room and tell us what the number is. So they did that experiment a few times and she got it right. And of course, now when people look at, criticize the studies because they don't want to replicate it and throw away their academia name, uh -huh. they say, oh, well, she, in the night, she, she kind of rolled around and all of these uh, electro things connected to her head weren't on. So you can't prove that she didn't stand up and go and find the number. And so I, like for me, it's mm -hmm. about replicating that either at least proving it wrong because that is just as important yes. or, you know, seeing what's, what's up here. Why, why mm -hmm. is this a, a thing? Like they've done this on, on bunnies as well, by the way, rabbits. And uh, they claim that there's some sort of universal consciousness where people are somehow connected. Right. Uh -huh. And what they did was they took a rabbit and they took it across the country into a lab and mm -hmm. they took the rabbits um, offspring, the babies into a different part of the country. Okay. And what they did was they s s monitored the, the mommy rabbits and then they started scaring the baby rabbits. I don't know how, I hope they didn't torture them. And as the small rabbits started going berserk and screaming, immediately the rabbits across the country started going wild and panicking. And mm -hmm. it's it, like they've done so many of these studies, but the thing is, it's so controversial. Nobody goes ahead and looks further into it. Like there could be a hundred other explanations. Sure, mm -hmm. if we want to go into, you know, playing devil's advocate, but they also need to be covered. And yeah, I, I really want to do that. That's sort of my passion is... You know, going into the things that people are too afraid to investigate and figure out what the hell is going on. Nice. I think that's it's good. I also like that you're going to try to replicate things like that. So I know there was a study or one habit that people do in academia. So keep well, let's go back. A key flaw in academia is if you get published. That's a big win. Mm -hmm. That's all you're trying to do. Yes. And so what sometimes happens is one, you go for crazy ideas and hope it is statistically significant. And if it's not statistically significant to prove, you'll sometimes keep trying to increase the sample size over and over and over until it's good. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was, I know there was one time in a similar vein where 
they were trying to prove that people actually have psychic tendencies and a well-established author that I found the proof. Mm -hmm. We did this study. We did, I forget what the study exactly was, but we proved that they were right 5% or 10% more often than they're supposed to. Well, when they replicate... So like the astral projection. Yes, and when they replicate... Somebody said there and said, that's ridiculous. We're going to actually... So the other kicker is, you do not get credit and fame for replicating studies. You get credit and fame for getting published on new studies. So somebody said that, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to replicate it because it's ridiculous. And they proved it wrong. But that is also, I think, the paradox. So I love that you're going into a replication kind of mindset of... Right now in academia, there's a huge incentive to push the numbers a bit. It doesn't matter if you're 100% right, but as long as you get published, you're good. But then mm -hmm. I like that you're coming up with this mindset of, okay, I'll test it. You know, we'll test it, but I have a feeling it's not going to, uh, at least you're, you're skeptical potentially. I have a skepticism, like, let's double check. Uh, but you, of course, it sounds like you're excited uh, to see I, it work. <laughs> I, I have new studies, but believe me, I wouldn't be telling you above those because... I'd rather prove them before I talk about them or else, again, TL will yes. see more from it. But um, the, the problem is you can study anything on Earth as long as you go about a scientific way of doing so. You know, just spewing, um, you know, conspiracy theories. Yes. That's, that's not going to bring you anywhere. If you test something in a laboratory, that makes it an experiment. And you could do uh -huh. that. And disproving it, again, just as important. But, um, yeah, the, pro the conundrum about this is... Um, Let's say we lived in this magical world, right? Where mm -hmm. a few people have these inherent psychological abilities, like some can see the future or some can astral project or some can do telekinesis, whatever. The problem with these studies is you need to find a person who can do it, A, and B, you need to be able to test that in such a manner that you prove it exists. You can't mm -hmm. increase the sample. That's the problem because you're not going to find 20 people who claim they can astral project. You yes. simply won't be able to prove it. You are going to have to find one person who can do something exceptionally well on command, which is often something they claim they can't do. You can mm -hmm. be skeptic about that as well, of course. And you'd have to be able to replicate that with a, a test-retest sort of thing where in order to test reliability, you'd have to have a different group of scientists come in, use the same person, and be able to get these exact same results. Um, yes. so that's sort of how you'd have to prove that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, there are various other ways mm -hmm. these things can be tested. And let's just say that the university of Toronto has an excellent neuroscience laboratory that I will be using. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. I think I like that you're taking a very scientific approach to verifying these. Like I remember there was a very famous magician who would, had eventually a million dollar prize pool if anyone could prove any supernatural. I know of him. Yes. Yeah, and he, 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 no one claimed it, and ultimately cleaned mm -hmm. so many people out. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. Yeah, I love it too. Screw those people. I know, right? <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. I also like uh, the, the person that I mentioned that like the CIA actually studied and said, oh, yeah, this guy is superpowers, so FBI, one of the two, included that fake mentalist. Uh, he was the one, the, the magician of the million dollar prize pool, was the one who kept chasing after him and eventually disproved him. And a really humiliating talk show um, with Johnny Carr, mm -hmm. where Johnny Carr basically called him saying, hey, we're having this mentalist on. We think we don't know if he's fake or not. What would you do to make sure to really test it? And then the mentalist or the magician of the game, like, do these five things and the entire thing is going to fail. And the entire thing failed. The mentalist went on. is like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the power today. So I think it's uh, maybe chat's figured out who I'm talking about. But it, it, it's, it's so interesting, though, the supernatural thing. I do feel that people want to believe, which is why you see things 
like mega churches explode. And I also see the things that's, like that's sad. That's an is. American thing, by the way. Is it an American <laughs> thing? Okay. Um, gosh, yeah, I've seen it. It's 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 uh it's ridiculous. It's these masses of people and these people flying around in private jets. I mean, we also have our fake preachers, believe me, but uh -huh. they don't get nearly as big as as you guys it's, do it over there. I don't even know how they do it. Like, I get I get the energy. There's actually a really funny YouTube channel that does death metal music in the background of some of these people because they're so out there that it just makes for good part like lyrics in a death metal song. Like God's coming and it's just like get the guitar going. Uh, but it, it's wild. I don't understand the, I get the attraction of here's somebody who seems very powerful, has all these lights, everyone's cheering for him, telling me the truth. Feels very nice, but it's also that spoon fed lie, right? Deluding yourself from reality. You gotta verify everything or reflect that there's also that sense of you're responsible for what you believe in your own actions. So, should also look at like what it does to people. I know another thing that's going around USA, which also has a like ma manner of belief that impossibility to it of QAnon, which is this online poster who has changed American politics significantly by convincing people that like Democrats are Satanists and eat children and has had a huge effect on the. Like, it has led to people, um, like, Pizzagate, I think, was because of them. Somebody thought they were keeping a bunch of children locked in a basement of a pizza shop. Oh, the pizza I shop. that. Yeah, no, there's no basement to pizza shop. And then, but it still led to somebody showing up with a gun, ready to, you know, bust up the place. Uh, trying to save the little children yeah, yeah. i i've read mm -hmm. about again this this these are the things we read about america we don't read the normal <laughs> things most we things read are normal. only these things yes. and we have to make our own conclusions about what's going on there <laughs> yeah no it's uh i can tell you america's fine it's funny i mean most the vast majority of it's a wonderful place whether you're in a uh liberals place or a conservative place though of course if you're in a more conservative place uh you might have you know like i look at um certain rights I don't know what your view on abortion is. I'm probably not going to go down that thing, but like certain more conservative states, hard to get things like access to abortion, uh, potentially less protection for gay rights. Like these are things, the more traditional mindset there. While liberal places have typically more access and uh, laws backing up that kind of stuff. But I will say, as a whole, well, America is pretty mm, nice. Yeah. But please. Mm. Mm -hmm. oh. I know. Yeah. <laughs> abortion things. I, I think. Like some, that's the big problem I also have with religion to begin with. Mm -hmm. I think you have the right to do with your own body whatever you want to do, even if mm -hmm. even if you find if other people find it morally wrong, yes. they don't have to do it. I think every woman should have the right to get an abortion, uh -huh. even though I don't think it's morally correct. Given though you don't know uh -huh. the circumstances, I mean, you you could have been raped, you could have been sexually abused. That changes the mm -hmm. entire ball game. I know I would never get an abortion, but I would fight till the death for someone else to have the right to get an abortion. Also, yes. a gay marriage, you know? I know the Bible is, is a, well, the old version of the Bible, the Old Testament, oh. is against gay, uh, being gay, apparently. Against everything. But I mean, <laughs> screw, yeah, screw that. So, okay, yeah. I won't. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm apparently a straight, I'm lucky me, but you should have the right to be married if you're gay. 
Like, yeah. it has nothing to do with anybody else. You, you should have the right mm -hmm. to do that. And I don't think it's morally unjust to go ahead and marry mm -hmm. a significant other. It's your right to do it. Uh -huh. You know, I don't know why mm -hmm. the, the state shouldn't have the power to intervene in these sort of things. The, mm -hmm. the state shouldn't have that amount of power. You should take as much power away from the state as you can because that never leads to a good place. It's... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a very slippery slope to give them the, the power to tell you mm -hmm. what to do with your body, what you're allowed to do with other people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a scary scary route. It's so interesting, and I, I imagine I think from judging our conversation so far, we agree on a lot of things. Because uh, I also am very um, pro-choice. Let people do what they want with their bodies. You know, do we yeah. really need the government pouring tax dollars into regulating these things when we could just let it be? uh we, and then of course again it's not like it's forced on it it's just there as an option and like options are fine options are typically a good thing to have access to i think it's really interesting to see what people want to use the government to limit and not limit right like on a macro level one thing i find really interesting in the united states is this talk of like for the more conservative party uh republican party there's a lot of talk about small government federal government doesn't work but as soon as they get the power nothing really changes it's just like the laws adjust what you can or can't do the spending doesn't go down. You, you just keep the course exactly the same, but you're just tweaking where you're regulating and not regulating. Then the Liberal Party takes back and they tweak what you regulate and not regulate. It's never really about... It's so interesting. It is about what you can and can't do, but it's less about opening up rights to everybody, more about what rights should be open on like an ethical level. There's almost like a moral aspect the government tries to take, and it might be... I wonder if it's just simply too far. It's tempting to do, right? You have all the power. You can put your own morals on everyone else, but it gets messy. It's interesting. We, we have a saying in the law here. Um, the law is as it is, mm -hmm. not as it ought to be, which yes. essentially comes down to the fact that law is not morality. The uh -huh. law is it, what it is. You, you need to comply with it. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean if you break the law, you've done something unethical. Like It's that yes. sort of thing where... If you if you cross a red light in the middle of the night and no one is around to watch, is that unethical mm -hmm. or did you just break the law? Did you hurt uh -huh. anyone? You know, right. it's it's that sort of question. To it's it's very interesting because once you can make a distinction between what's ethically right and what the law says, you can start thinking for mm -hmm. yourself in a in a better manner, right? And it's uh -huh. the same with those laws about abortion and such. It's should the law be the law or should it be something that controls the morals and who decides what is morally right and wrong right because uh -huh. you're always going to have differences about these things and yeah it's i i mean when, when when i studied law the most interesting thing about making a new law isn't mm -hmm. about what's right it's about how it can be abused it's um i know there was this big fight about uh in america uh, all the bad things, sorry. We mm -hmm. only hear the no bad worries. things. No worries. Um, it's media. Media. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, so there was these fights about whether they should make, um, whether they should allow transgender people into female bathrooms. And mm -hmm. now, the, like, we studied these things. So the, the arguments we had was, well, yeah, they have inherent rights. They, we should allow them to express the, the way they feel. Uh -huh. And then we had, now the reason uh, people were struggling to implement it as law is because we immediately looked at the way these, this law can be abused. And yep. that's where the big arguments came from. Like, what about that one person who pretends to be 
transgender to sneak into a girl's bathroom and do something horrible mm -hmm. but then you're you're punishing this entire majority of people who you know have done nothing wrong mm -hmm. in order to protect a small minority of people who will abuse the system and that's all the law is about is about people abusing the system you know because we yes. need to prevent them from doing that it's, it's interesting because again then you mm -hmm. go down to the point where the law isn't as it the law is as it is not as it ought to be and yeah, being yeah. able to distinguish that, it's it's super important when talking about morality. I think so. I completely agree. And I think, let me, I'm going to dive in on that transgender law, because I find that when people are trying to use laws to enforce morality, it's usually offering a solution in search of a problem. So, for example, preventing people from doing harm in uh, a restroom. As it turns out, there are no force fields around women's restrooms. For example, I could walk into a woman's restroom. If I wanted to, nothing's really changed there. That isn't all. I also feel like that discredits existing problems like rape, for example, where that it's not typically something like that horrendous act is not actually happening in a bathroom. It's usually in somebody, you know, an acquaintance and it's discounting where the real problems are occurring. It's misunder. Oh God. Yeah. I just, I feel when you take that straw man argument pretending the, pro the problem that you're trying to protect everyone is actually not there, it's usually because you're motivated by something else. And America, a lot of that motivation comes... A lot of the times. Yeah. Of it. A lot of the times that is the case. And it I comes, mean, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's projection also. It's uh, one of my favorite things in psychology. Um, you know, uh, where people, if, if they're fighting something within themselves, they portray the opposite. And they go really hard about it. So it's if you have preachers who are all about not being gay and they won't stop talking about it and they're over projecting this mm -hmm. image, it, it usually they're gay. Yes. It's it's a psychological phenomenon. And there are many of these defense mechanisms that are inherent in society and knowing about them is so interesting because you can spot out peculiar behavior. Like if you keep talking about, you know, being a good Christian. It oftentimes mm -hmm. there are some significant problems in your own life that you're trying to mask, which, uh -huh. you know, it's just not uh, very Christian-like, if you will. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to note uh, the people who shout the loudest in the crowd. Yeah, I think uh, it comes, we have one politician in the United States with that rumor, uh, Lindsey Graham, a really staunch conservative, but everyone's like quietly saying, oh, yeah, he, he's really gay behind the scenes. Uh, he just won't, he just has this persona, this act, and fights against it and this stuff. Likewise, I think there was an mm. incident with the Catholic Church where somebody high up was very much um, gay and oh, had gone to a brothel. All the time. <laughs> and so it makes sense, right? There's, it's so interesting, this human psychology aspect of fighting against who you are. And I think that's so, it goes back I've, earlier to the conversation, that inverse ego. But the ego thinks it needs to be versus eight of what you are and trying to manage the two. And if you're trying very hard to blow off the id, it just doesn't work. I think it leaves people mentally all over the place, scatterbrained, like not pieced together properly, as opposed to trying to figure out what you are, what you can or can't do in terms of your wants and needs, and then moving around that and, you know, keeping it like a symbiotic kind of like a, symbiotic's not the right word, but um, like stable situation everything interlocking this is who i am let's move forward it's uh fascinating I mean, mm -hmm. the most fascinating is the fact that most of us are comprised of the id 
and you yeah. don't have access to that. Your ego doesn't. It's hidden, and that's the scary part because it's it's that old age um, argument about oh you only use this percentage of your brain. No, you use every single part of your brain, yep. and we're still trying to figure out what certain parts do. And it's uh, that studying that it that's so extremely interesting. Like um like dream analysis is one of my favorite mm-hmm. um you know interests because the id sometimes break through um in mm-hmm. a dream because i mean your your id your ego and your super ego are constantly fighting in order yep. to get your attention and all of those are trying to protect you and your place in society you know the mm-hmm. id wants to go feral and have intercourse with everyone eat as much as they can and go to bed that's the id uh-huh. the id is hiding your your primal self the ego is you, John, and the super ego is, you know, Morality. the rules of society. Mm-hmm. And you, the, id con- mm-hmm. the ego constantly has to weigh the two, you know. And, but yes. yeah, so in dreams, you have these um, these patterns and a lot of people don't realize. It's interesting, the 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 sim- symbolism, mm-hmm. it, the fact that it's like, it's a universal symbolism that somehow exists in all of us. Like dreams where you fly, that's uh-huh. a very common dream. And yes. it's a dream you have when you try to, you want more freedom. You're trying to escape certain parts of your life and you, you start getting flying dreams. Mm-hmm. And then like another peculiar one that's so specific, yet so many people have it, is when you start losing your teeth in a dream. Mm-hmm. That's, again, that's, it comes from the id. It's you being very self-conscious, embarrassed about something. It's And you, you I don't know if you've had that dream. I've had it plenty of times where I... My teeth start falling out in the middle of oh. my dream. No, that sounds it's, miserable. <laughs> it's a very common dream. I'm sure there will be people uh-huh. in chat who've had this specific dream. It's uh-huh. flying, teeth falling out, and uh, what are some of the other very, very common uh, dream phenomena? <sighs> now I can't recall. I mean, the but obvious one also, is sexual dreams. It's a very common but... dream. Look it up. I, I've studied psychology. I have Freud's dream analysis book in my other room. It's a very common dream. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, falling falling dream is also very common, though. I'm not sure what that symbolizes because you normally wake up right after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I like I like appreciate right now that you're just staring at chat trying to hope somebody says, I, I have my teeth fall out in my dreams. <laughs> you're looking so bad. You're like, I'm trying. Please, somebody it's just say it. a very common dream. <laughs> it's extremely common. Quick, somebody just... I've tasted this and <laughs> oh gosh I oh, well I don't I, okay only me having the the, the, the teeth falling out one that's fine um, <laughs> well interestingly enough uh, you don't remember most of your dreams you have up to six dreams every single yep, night I, don't, I can remember one and you probably don't remember any one of them uh, most of the time because uh-huh. you have different REM cycles and every REM cycle you go with REM stands for repetitive eye movement because mm-hmm. every time you reach a REM cycle, your eyes go like this under your eyelids. Don't mm-hmm. ask me why. So every REM cycle you have, you go into a, <clears throat> a deeper dream state and your dreams become more vivid and they become more longer. Uh-huh. So the, the deepest dreams you have are those you have right before you wake up. And um, that's also why you can feel unrested even if you slept 11 hours because mm-hmm. you have your REM cycles and then when you reach a certain point, you go back to square one REM cycle. Mm-hmm. And if you wake up then, you're going to feel unrested because you're yep. in only at the start of your REM cycles. But um, yeah, come on, you've you've had... <laughs> I've had the teeth dream before. You're lying. You just want to make me feel better. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if this would be a self-sabotaging... Uh 
comment where you're looking at chat and chat. I'm sure some people in chat are so nice. They're like, oh yeah, please. I've had the teeth dream. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. But uh, yeah, that, that seems uh, like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Freud, Freud is actually, uh, Freud um, is very controversial with regards to his opinions about sexuality. Uh -huh. That's about yep. it. Um, he, he, he believes in certain in sexual phases. Um, <laughs> No, all the other things uh -huh. are very prominent. We study those and implement them in everything. No, no, mm -hmm. he's uh he's very uh, controversial. One is the Oedipal complex and the Electra complex, uh -huh. which um I don't know. Am I allowed to use use the p word on your stream, John, or should I rather not? <laughs> so the funny part is, I don't even know what the p word is. So just go for it. Well, he he is of the firm belief that girls grow up wanting to have peepees. And you boys just, grow just up wanting word. to have intercourse with their mothers. Yep. Yeah, just go wild. <laughs> this is widely disputed. Uh, yes. We don't believe in this. But with regards to everything of the... Remember, he came up with the id, the ego, the superego. Yep. All psychologists use this terminology. Uh -huh. And it's he created this field of psychology, which is very important. Psychoanalysis and mm -hmm. psychotherapy. But with regards to the genitalia thing... <laughs> and women and men wanting to like <laughs> like he sincerely believes girls girls grow up wanting mm -hmm. to have intercourse with their fathers and then they seek mates that resemble their fathers now that's correlation and not causation uh -huh. uh, correlation as in women do often seek father figure um people who resemble their fathers it's it's something women do but it's not because they want to have intercourse with their fathers okay that's where he got it wrong so he he was a very interesting person let's, mm -hmm. let's just put it like that and yep. very fun to study yes no i think that's a really a on a macro level an important part about looking at people like we talked about jordan peterson earlier and we separated out the self-help stuff from his political aspects and likewise of freud and let's separate out the ego super ego the id from his sexual his thoughts on sexuality or not sexuality but sexual tendencies like we can we can divide someone's ideas into questionable if not wrong and hey there might be something here because you know, people are complex right and it, it makes sense that complex thinkers have good and bad thoughts ah and sometimes they and sometimes they just fail it you know that's my mm -hmm. thought but i think it's, he's an interesting one i also like i need to learn more about how he talks to people because people say he's like one of the best people to have to speak with where he always makes you feel that he's interested in you and your conversation your words people described him as such a natural person to talk to i've always found that to be that's very Jordan interesting uh, say it one more time are you talking oh, about Jordan no Peterson? this is i'm I... talking about freud 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 sorry yeah, I, because sorry. you mentioned both names so i, was I just did sorry about that which one you... no you're talking about freud Jordan Peterson seems like a good guy to talk to though probably a bit more opinionated than i think freud i think freud lets people talk and then hits him at the end Jordan knows always somebody that comes in with an uh, opinion when I see him either debate or talk of on um, like a Joe Rogan kind of place. He's a very opinionated person. Not a bad thing, though. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. Freud invented talk therapy. I mean, he was the first person to... Yeah, he was the... Uh, he. This is the thing. This is why Freud is so important because he started all of these things. And although he wasn't right about all of them, he laid the foundations. And yeah, talk therapy was ha literally having your clients sit down, well, lay down on a couch and talk mm -hmm. away. And you have a lot of little techniques in there, like just say the first word that comes to mind and, you know, er like list them. And as they go on, you'll eventually reach the mm -hmm. thing that's bothering you most. Um, 
But yeah, just talk therapy. So you'd have the client just lay there and talk and talk about everything that's bothering them. Mm -hmm. And that in itself was like cathartic. And it was yes. such a big discovery. Like you didn't need the therapist to come up with all of these conclusions and things. Mm -hmm. Just having someone to talk to was mm -hmm. like, it was a big discovery. And we yes. still have, like you have all these little ways to solve problems. And that's why you're going to have different therapists for different people. You're going to have someone who has cognitive behavioral therapy. You're going to have someone who's using Freud's talk therapy tactic, you know, and you mm -hmm. need to find the one for you, which is scary because patients don't know what they need. Mm -hmm. And the therapist needs to sort of know what they're doing before they just apply a random theory because mm -hmm. there are opposite theories and you have therapists who use theories that they agree with and mm -hmm. that might not necessarily work for you, which could be a problem, right? Yes, I think that's actually one of the struggles when people try therapy, where you want to find the therapist that works for you, where, and every yeah. therapist is like a different flavor of ice cream. It's not that they're a bad flavor, like, you know, Rocky Road versus vanilla versus chocolate versus strawberry. You just have to find the one that's right for you. Uh, like, I like dark chocolate, but somebody else might like almond, pecan, and, but that's not like a bad choice of pecan butter, whatever the one's called. I'm not going to like that, but it, if it works for someone else, that's great. But there, it's so easy. It's so much easier to have ice cream flavors than therapists. I hope as people acknowledge how beneficial it is to get your thoughts out of your head, where this id, ego, superego, fighting it out, and just say it, actualize it. How beneficial it can be as you try to dig into yourself. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think you. I completely agree that every therapist has their own kind of style, and you have to find what works for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. it's pretty important. Um, but yeah, it's sad because you mm -hmm. often have people who literally just need someone to talk to. And mm -hmm. that's, that's a big, re there's a reason we have so many therapists in the world and we have a lot of people don't believe in them, but the other half are the silent, you know, the silent few who all go to them because they just need to talk about things and they mm -hmm. don't have someone to talk to. And it's, it's sad. It's actually quite yeah. tragic, but uh, it if it helps, it helps, right? I mean, it, 100%, if it helps to talk to someone, just talk to someone. And I hope as people warm up to it, it becomes more mainstream, there's more access to it, where not everyone has it. And I know for like men in the United States anyways, uh, suicide rate is higher than women, but there's this, I was slowly working away from it, but like a suck it up mentality. When you're feeling emotional, you have problems, you just tough it out. But the downside of that is it's so draining on the mental where sometimes you need to talk it out to find the solution and resolve the problem instead of just like brute forcing your way through it. So there's serious psychological benefits. I like to think of therapy as like the greatest cheat code ever because it helps you get a second, a second mind to help you sort out your thoughts so you can figure out what you want to do, getting there even faster. Um, did you, that's an interesting statistic, by the way. Did you know that more women attempt suicide than men do? Interesting. But more men actually kill themselves. Um, it's an interesting statistic. Yeah, it's that's a so skill you I have don't... a lot more attempt, <laughs> attempted suicides by women, but the, the men actually go through with it. So you have more men killing themselves. That's a... but you have more women attempting it altogether. That's a really it's bad skill. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, you can have you can have a lot of theories with regard to that. I. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, I know I'm laughing now. It's not a laughing matter, but yeah, the thing is men normally go for like brute physical force. Um, you know, you, you, they literally, they'll take a gun and end yeah. it that way where women will maybe go and take a few pulls. And, you know, you can also argue that some just 
cry you know it's a cry for help and that's mm -hmm. the only way they they feel like they can do do it yeah. whereas men like you said men don't necessarily go and talk about things they don't go for the cry for help they just go for the solution and end it but yeah it's an interesting statistic um yeah dark one <laughs> um, it's a dark yeah. statistic yeah that's interesting that uh the difference of whether it's I mean, I'm, my mind mentally chalks up the culture immediately because you can make, I am confident, create a culture of people that are comfortable talking about their problems. Uh, mm. but it's getting better. I think so. It, I agree. A little bit. A little bit. It's, it's getting better. It's so funny. I was, um, it was a debate in Discord, on my Discord, because we, we have a channel. Is it really like, a, it's not really a Pollux channel. Well, I can't really check it. We're using Discord, obviously, but. It's a, we're having like a political debate talking a bit about race. We're all really, really playing it. And I was really proud of our channel for doing it. But I thought it was a really interesting point where someone was, like macro, was looking macro at income levels by ethnic group. And said, look, things are getting better. Uh, but I'm like, yes, but it's also, it's getting better because we're continuing to push so hard to make progress. It's kind of on my mind of this progress. Like, I completely agree things are getting better, but you can't even let up the... I feel like you never let up the momentum of constantly talking about, like, the value of therapy or other issues, like that conversation about race, uh, income inequality, etc. Because they're not going to keep getting better if we stop and let people say, oh, this is enough, we're done. Like, you have to keep with that same pressure, even though things are getting better, which I think is... I don't know, like, macro on the individual level, it applies. On a macro level, it applies. I find it to be super interesting. Uh, but I am hopeful oh, about certainly. the future. Um, hmm? Yeah, hopeful. <laughs> yeah, there's so many aspects of the future. The thing is, some things are going better, other things are going worse. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's people are getting more divided. I feel on on topics. Um, yes. Like at least like politics per se. It's uh -huh. and it's feeling more like the purge every time you've got voting going on there in america from my uh -huh. south african uh, ignorant <laughs> point of view and uh -huh. i i feel like uh, you know at some point if you had a trump voter uh -huh. you know in your workplace you know he could get fired and uh, and he'd hate the hillary voters and the hillary voters would hate him but that's what i saw in the media uh -huh. i don't know if it's... that's how it's on the you know on the ground if people really you know you see someone with a mag maga hat and you think well they're evil people and you I know think. they should they get punched mm -hmm. in the back of the head you know i i'm not sure how that works but it seems awfully bad i so here's my experience so i live in pennsylvania it was one of the swing states it was a key state in mm. the election and also i live in the suburbs so i have every okay. one state or uh, one uh, sign would be for joe biden in the past election next house over would have a yeah. trump sign Next house over would have a Joe Biden mm. sign. Next house over would have a Trump sign. I was just like, wow, this whole street's like split. I know, I truly, at the time, because I, I did at the time, and still happy it worked out this way, I voted for Joe Biden. And I remember walking down the street, I'm like, wow. Everyone's talking about it comes down to Pennsylvania, and I'm walking down the road, and everyone has different opinions. I can't comment. It's scary. It's interesting. Um, I have two kinds it's of opposites. They, well, it's kind of. It feels like opposites groups well yeah that's how the media portrays it to outsiders like me at least uh-huh yes and i think this is the problem of media in capitalism and this is where i think i think about i reflect about this a lot and actually it's one of my motivations of like why i like these conversations i want to create a place to have these conversations media has a for-profit agenda most pub most media companies have a private family that really likes having lots of money 
or publicly traded, which means they have an obligation to the public shareholders to make them money. Humans tend, are, in psych psychologically speaking, like negativity. We attach the negativity and engage with one positivity. So it's a lot easier to retain people to watch a show and pump them full of commercials if you give them negative topics. If you say, those people are destroying society, instead of saying, like, you know, we're all pretty close together. It's just like we're having a few hiccups here, there. A little bit more of a positive take. Everyone's, like, going to shut off that, move elsewhere. And we saw this particularly in the 2020 election with the rise of two new media networks uh, called Newsmax and OAN. It's like One American Network. I believe was what it stands for. Where these are really right-wing, really conservative networks, which are very polarized, very much us versus them. And when Fox News would contradict Trump, saying fact-check Trump, contradict them, more people, people would get angry and tweet at them, like, I'm moving over to these networks. They're moving over to the ones that will feed them a more polarized sense of news. And quickly, for me, it was a learning lesson of media is all about profit. And if giving you very polarizing views will give you more profit, media is incentivized to at the expense of society, at the expense of the peace, because the peace doesn't pay the bills. If anything, protest rioting pays the bills even more. The media has a strong incentive to tear people apart and do anything they can to engage you. And I worry about that long term. I think it's I think media is something that capitalism does not do well with. I think it's one of the areas that because of that contradiction where truth is not the end goal, but profit gets messy. You know, what's really scary about that sentiment is it's it's a proven psychological phenomenon uh -huh. that if you tell someone a really bad fact like let's say you're a politician and you t tell a horrible lie uh -huh. but it's a very memorable one that's uh like um how can i put it yeah it's memorable yeah. because of its shock factor we as humans are, uh, have evolved to remember the bad things uh -huh. and the things that stand out more than the normal things and what happens is they've proven uh, psychologically, and I mean, all the politicians probably know this, that if you tell an outrageous lie to an audience and it comes out that it was a lie, in a few months from then on, people mm -hmm. will remember it as mm -hmm. just a fact and they'll forget about the lie part. And it, it's been proven countless times. If, if you, so if you just continue to spout lies, people eventually mm -hmm. forget the fact that it, were, it was a lie, unless it was a really big lie. And uh, they kind of just remember the thing that was said. So, yeah, like if yep. you said something like, well, you know, Hillary once kicked a dog. Uh, I saw her kick a dog if Trump said something along those lines. And uh -huh. the next day in the headlines, it's like, mm, Trump lied. Hillary did not kick a dog. Yes. In a few months from now, most people will remember the fact that, oh, yeah, Hillary kicked a dog that one time. Do, you uh -huh. know, do you recall that? Because it's more memorable. And it's it's very shocking. Like, it, it was when I was studying social psychology. Mm -hmm. And I was considering writing it all up and putting it in like something that people can access about the way politicians can manipulate people mm -hmm. because there are so many psychological things. And it's when you know these things in yourself, uh, that's when you can start fighting against it. But then, um, uh -huh. yeah, so it's more profitable for a politician to just tell an outrageous lie mm -hmm. to make his opponent look bad and to actually tell the truth. Because at the end of the day, when the votes come in, people just kind of remember, oh yeah, that politician did a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what, but I'm not going to yeah. vote for him now. And it's, it's quite scary the way that works. And I think the media mm -hmm. works in a similar way, like you said. Yes. I think for the media, it's profit. But in the United States right now, we're actually seeing the 
efforts of probably like five to 10 years of perpetuating a lie come to fruition to the benefit of the people who are perpetuating it, where in 2020, there was a lot of talk about voter fraud. There was like no voter fraud. There were tons of lawsuits by the Trump administration. Uh, they, were, they couldn't find any. The only voting fraud I was aware of is one person voted for Trump on behalf of his dead grandmother in Pennsylvania. That is one vote. Uh, and it was caught. And if you get caught, if, if they are doing a vote that's illegal, you know, it's a felony, which will probably bar you from access to most jobs, up to five years in prison, and like, I think $250,000 in fine, it's like a triple threat that ruins your life for one vote. So voting fraud doesn't happen in the United States, but there's been this push for a long time to put IDs in place on voting, which sounds really commonsensical, except we're not having a voter ID problem. Actually, voter ID or voter fraud is not an issue in the United States. Media manipulationists, Russia, you know, coming in, making fake Facebook groups and fake tweets to push an agenda and other uh, dictatorships doing that. That is a problem for the United States. We have to wrestle that. But the voter, there's no voter fraud issue. The voter ID seems so common sense. But what's really happening is it's just a statistic. More Republicans have vote, valid vote, or IDs, valid IDs like driver's licenses than Lib Democrats. Mm. So if I restrict voting IDs, I'm more likely to disenfranchise Democrat votes than Republican votes. So there's this huge push by Republicans to make this solution to this problem that they propagated for years about voter fraud in order to just simply, and because we have a two-party system, it's a zero-sum game, one party is going to statistically have more IDs than the other one. If you put voter IDs in place, you swing it. You swing the voting population slightly more conservative by disenfranchising members of both parties, but statistically more liberals. And that has been fascinating to me, how you're able to, by perpetuating this, it's been going on for years, Trump really ran with it, and now they're starting to be able to push the laws in states, which is wild. That's, that's what's so scary to me, because I know it's the norm now in your countries, but with mine, problems are so practical. It's like, oh, where did this lump sum of money go? Oh, yes, the president stole the sum of money. It's, it's that simple. That is all we have. That is it. In your country, there's this five-head manipulation. And it's like, we're this party's doing this and this party's doing that. And we're going to start the slander campaign here. And the other one is going to bring in immigrants. And then that party is going to fight against it with this. And there's all of this, like, you can actually have conversations about it here. It's yes. just, well... Meh, he stole a lot of money, but this one is this party might steal a little bit less money. Yeah. So we should consider voting for that party instead. And mm -hmm. it's as simple as that. And I think that's why your politics scares me so much because uh -huh. there's actual debates going on. It's not as straightforward as one would like to think. And the propaganda, my gosh, we don't have that here. It's just again straight up. You don't even need uh -huh. propaganda. You just give the facts, it's... and that's enough to scare you. Uh -huh. And give you nightmares. Um, yeah. So hats off to you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very different. And I will say one thing again. At the end of the day, I don't think either party truly, like they're all they're all self interested politicians. But the system is robust enough that says enough people get the power that do care about the country, that we move forward. Even though the stuff goes on behind the scenes, where there is a five headness, like both uh, parties will rig districts in their favor via gerrymandering. That just is how our politics works. But I will say the benefit is, again, we're moving in a direction where it's not like I'm trying to pocket everything. 
Yeah, do politicians make a lot of money with speaking gigs? Yes. Do a lot of politicians leave Congress and then become lobbyists, getting paid big bucks to lobby their friends who are still congressmen, manipulate their opinions? Yes. We have our problems, but I am grateful to the United States in the sense of it's not like, oh, yeah, let me just write myself a check. It takes a lot of effort to do the corruption, and it's not enough that, you know, you're not sitting there saying, well, we're, our water is going to run out. There's day zero is coming, or, you know, there's rolling blackouts. Uh -huh. Exactly. We, we keep exactly. it together. And then once you, and then one other thing I think is beneficial to the United States is if there is an enemy, an external enemy, boy, we, do, we, we will like all come together, say, well, we really hate ourselves, but we hate you more. And our whole country is fine going down. With the, let's go the, double down on this hate. And when we come together, we do some pretty crazy stuff, uh, for better or worse, some of the stuff we do. But it's something we're good at. Is that last Excuse minute? Excuse me for constantly referencing studies, but yeah, that's one oh one. Um <laughs> the um oh, what do you call it? The uh, Pirates Cove experiments where they, they mm -hmm. prove the best way to unite different groups uh -huh. is by getting a common enemy. Oh yeah. They, it's, all it was, the common uh, enemy. it's all these old experiments, so unethical but so useful. Yep. Um <laughs> we'd never be able to replicate them where they tricked boys into coming into a a, a camp, um, like a summer camp and they divided them into groups and they got those boys to hate the other groups and uh -huh. with all uh, psychological tactics and then in the end what they did was they said okay well you now need to do this task in order to get this reward mm -hmm. and you got these boys working together and like at the end they were best friends after hating each other and they've been doing replicating this and using this authority as an experiment to do it with race in south africa like mm -hmm. one of my professors that's always doing right now is is implementing the pirate cove experiments with um uh people of color and white people and um i think he's targeting groups where there's a lot of racial tension and he's trying mm -hmm. to do exactly that where he gets a common enemy and trying to get them to work together because if you can do that you can unite a nation yes and yeah if, if, if you have um someone attacking america you're gonna see those two parties come together like uh -huh. blue it's it's the best way to unite people and yeah, you just need mm -hmm. a common enemy. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I will say one thing that goes on we haven't talked about in politics is what I'm, or at least in the United States, what happens if both parties agree, which things get messy. So let me, a great example of this common enemy uh, after Twin Towers went down was terrorism and therefore passed the Patriot Act, which was an unbelievably intrusive act that gave up a lot of freedoms, gave the ability for the government to look into all kinds of stuff on people. Give them a lot of power here. But of course, when they came together, there's a cost to that. I also think the unspoken topics are fascinating as well, where if you have a Joe Biden Trump, what would be the difference? For example, like where, where would they agree? And then you don't get a choice in that. Because if Joe Biden Trump would do the same particular tax break here, border policy there, nothing, you know, and there's no big change. It just is how it is. You never had a choice on changing that. I find that to be a very fascinating, the unspoken politics as well. Because the country doesn't move very quickly. Even our, our laws are slow. Like marijuana right now. We all we know the war on drugs has failed, but enough people on both parties is like, eh, we'll take our time. And we do take our time. Uh, so I think that's the other hidden part to it all. Is where when they both agree, no news gets out, but nothing changes there either, even if there might be a problem. Um, that's definitely a human problem we have all across the world. Don't fret. Mm -hmm. I mean, no government is perfect it's uh, yep. simply not the, the the case at least yours is 
I mean, I mean, you I'm can't great. argue you, your country is better off than many, many other countries. Oh yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, America's great in many yeah. ways. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have your. That's why people criticize. Uh, well, if you don't know by now, but um, yeah, people like criticizing America and other countries because uh-huh. they only see the worst. And the thing is, they you have always been at least in the South African point of view. Um, mm-hmm. we we see America as like the standard of how society can be and yep. the standard of how a country should be. And when things started, like, you know, when we started getting media of the political parties fighting, uh-huh. we, we started critically analyzing your country and figuring out what the hell's going wrong. Because like I said, we, we have a very westernized culture in South Africa because we mm-hmm. look at American media, American television. We look at Europe as well, but it's more American for some reason. And that's why we hold you to such a high standard because uh-huh. everyone wants to, wanted to move to America. <laughs> like everyone yes. in this country wants to get out and America was normally the choice. But um, yeah, it's, it's just so you know, it's not that yeah. America is in flames, like you said. It's just people hold you to a high standard because uh-huh. uh, you are a very like um, a giant, you know, no, You're a we, giant in the world in, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and we have a ton of problems too. But I will say at the end of the day, like, I'm, am I happy to be born in America? Yeah, like. 100%. Have you ever considered moving to another country? No. Move another state? Sure. There'll, but like the fact that you can go to Texas, California, um, Georgia, Alabama. Alabama might not be the best example, but there are lots of... Uh, sorry to insult everybody from Alabama. Well, there's some nice parts, I think, in the north of Alabama. But there are lots of different parts of the United States because it's so big with so many different cultures, so many different ideas. And it never surprises me that there's all this conflict because somebody who grew up in Los Angeles is going to have an entirely different experience in New York City than somebody who's going to grow up in like rural Virginia and their life experiences or culture is like, it's all going to be different, but that's like the benefit of the USA. We can move wherever you want. And together we really do have a powerhouse of a country, but we should continue to be really critical about it and trying to keep improving it because there's still work to do. I mean, uh. yeah, every, well, again, I, I specifically refer to South Africa in this regard. Um, like, uh, yeah, all your things trickle down to us at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like when you had Black Lives Matter, it, it yep. became a thing here in South Africa. And when, and it suddenly became a big, and we already had movements, but uh-huh. whoop, and now we had that one. And um, then we had, um, now your, your COVID conspiracy theorists start <laughs> tweeting oh. things. And now you have people in South Africa dead set on not getting oh. 5G and not wanting to be tracked by the government. Yeah, we really and messed I'm that one up. I'm not saying I blame America. <laughs> I'm well, just saying. Well, there is a particular people poli- are influenced by you. <laughs> Don't ask me why. I will. But uh, it's, I blame it's a, rather funny. blame a very particular, <laughs> prominent, very good at keeping attention politician for casting doubt and on vaccines historically and that might have (laughs) politicized a lot of things like social distancing mask wearing and vaccines which has led to a one political party worth of people uh, a good chunk of them having doubts which i get we go back to that media go back for profit negativity but i it makes me sad because there's that difference of prevention versus knowing and now we know what covid does kills a lot of people very effective at it and we know that vaccines work. Why am I not worried about smallpox? Because we wipe that thing out. We wiped out a bunch of diseases. Like, just get the vaccines. Move on. The math, science is there. If you doubt it, just become a doctor. 
There's a reason every doctor, the people who have specialized in medicine, and say this is you should get this. Um, it's not perfect. I got, I felt really sick uh, the day after. I felt very tired specifically the uh, day after shot number two. Am I happy? Yes. Can I get back to my life? Yes. Am I going to be safer? Yes. Am I going to threaten my grandparents? No. Who also got the vaccine? Like that's all really good, and it makes it, I think it's one of the weaknesses of the media. Like it's sad, and people will give airtime to people who stir up doubt because they're very engaging. Uh, I also think there's that, that, like, I'm sure you know probably a lot more, but I feel like there is a psychological tendency for people to want to feel that they're right, to feel that they know more than the other people, that the other people are idiots, ah, they are sheep, and I know everything, uh, and that following the majority is bad, but in this case, but in this case, it's, uh, it's not how it works. The majority is right here, the science is out here, let's get things going. Excellent, well, look forward to another follow-up then. Thank you so much and take care.